0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the
2: Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
1: Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. And uh, happy Friday. It's Friday. So, relax. Enjoy.
3: Get ready for the weekend, and... But would you be relaxing more towards the end of the day? Yeah. Not at the first of the day? Well, I mean, sure.
2: But so, a lot of people are just in... Like, think of Monday. All right. Monday feels like a stress-all-day day.
4: day. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of Monday, because we don't work Monday. Oh, yeah. So, I'm relaxed... You're already relaxed. Got my blanket and a pillow. You gonna watch movies?
2: Mm-hmm. That's t- Friday. We talk movies. We've got a big uh, preview of, of uh, I guess, a blockbuster films coming out this weekend. I don't know. Shik Shumway's on the scene. He'll be interviewing some people about that. And I think he's anticipating kind of a big crowd. Yeah, he, I've never seen him more excited for a a, a reporting, you know, opportunity. Hopefully, he's not. Like drowned
4: out by some loud explosion. or He always, you can't
2: hear half of his reports. But he's excited. We're not going to tell you what movie it is. We'll, we'll let Shick do that. I don't think you even know what movie it is. I'm not into those kind of movies. I'm just not. Good ones? Yeah. Well, I don't know. But okay. Schick, because I don't know what movie it is. But Schick, right. I, I but I do know this, he's like a kid. Kid in a candy store. So we'll be getting to that. Um, also, today we'll be talking about um, American character. The struggle between, you know, dams Republicans, but also individual liberties and common good.
3: Yeah. There's a lot of, well, you, you'll hear the argument of like states' rights. Right. Right. Well, the federal government shouldn't tell us what to do. Right. And yet, in
2: the end, this author's got some pretty killer insight. Wrote a book on it, for heaven's sakes, and we will be talking about this epic struggle. This isn't new. This isn't new. What you see going on on Capitol Hill, it's not new. This has been going on forever. But where's the balance? Right. And what does character have to do with it? Character. Character.
3: I think that's kind of a buzzword. It's overused. Right. You don't need to focus there. Wait. Right.
2: By the way, our guest is uh, who was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Really? Mm -hmm.
3: Wow. Big deal. Was he happy to be nominated? Probably. Okay. Who wouldn't be? Get a billion dollars, I think, for that. I was nominated for a traffic ticket once. Really? Yeah. I didn't win. Ah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sounds so sad for you.
4: There are thousands of other nominees, too, for that traffic ticket. I know. It really wasn't that special.
2: There's a lot uh, going on. In fact, a lot of the on the Hill, they're doing all of these Senate hearings. And it's interesting. Three or four, or two or three yesterday, said things against Donald Trump. I mean, they went against yes.
3: his policy. One talked ideas. about the Iran deal. Yeah, said we shouldn't mess with it. We, you know, smart people put this together, and it's like, wait a second. Yeah, that's different. Another declared Russia
2: is an enemy. We need to pay attention to. Can't just win an election from him. Yeah, got to pay attention to him. So we'll get to all that, of course. Plus, just have fun. Get you ready for get you ready for the big weekend. But
3: first, let's get to the news with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. And a pre-dawn tweet storm. Matt, have you ever had a tweet storm? Every day. When caught in one, President-elect yeah. Donald Trump attacked the Justice Department's probe of the FBI's late October handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation, touted his own cabinet nominees, implied again that he believes the Russian government, more than U.S. intelligence officials, condemned this week's dossier alleging compromising ties to the Kremlin, and said the Affordable Care Act will soon be history. Matt, what did you do this morning? I just uh, drove here. Listened to a lot of stuff, read a lot of stuff. Trump got some work done. What did he do? He, that's what Just I mean. All, all the tweets. Yeah, he's he's he a tweet all these fest. subjects. Yeah. He said the political opponents who he said made up the claims with a failed spy, afraid of being sued, he added, fake news. All caps, with an exclamation <laughs> point. Russia said, uh, nothing exists, probably released by intelligence, even though there is no proof and never will be. My people will have a full report on hacking within 90 days. Excellent. That's probably the, the news portion of that, is there's yeah. going to be another report on another something. Another report on something. And you put a date on it. The Department of Justice, as President-elect Trump tweeted about, announced Thursday that will investigate al- al- allegations uh, that the FBI and its chief, James Comey, did not follow proper procedures when Comey announced announced last July that the agency would not recommend charges for Hillary Clinton and when Comey sent letters to members of Congress just days before the presidential election, reigniting the former secretary of state 's email controversy also u s officials informed NBC News. That FBI Director James Comey told President-elect Donald Trump about the existence of the unverified allegations regarding the Russians' ties after an intelligence briefing at Trump Tower last Friday. Comey reportedly spoke with Trump one-on-one about the dossier of Russian documents, which were detained or detailed in a BuzzFeed News report earlier this week. Trump had previously said no such meeting happened. Hmm. But it was one-on-one with James Comey, blah, blah, blah. So they're going to investigate that whole pre-election Stuff. Now, if you saw any of the hearing that happened early this week with all the members, or it was last week with all the members of the intelligence, and oh, the FBI yeah. and CA, James Comey was asked about ongoing Russian hacking or, or is that being investigated? And he goes, We do not discuss ongoing investigations. I will not. It, you know, uh, confirm or deny. And the guy looked at him and he goes, you don't what? He goes, when there's an ongoing investigation, we don't talk about it. And they're like, what about the hold it investigation with the email and Hillary Clinton before the uh, election? And he's like, uh. well, that one was different. So it was kind of interesting how mm. that went down. On Thursday, National o- uh, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration... Noah. Uh The meteorologist there declared that the drought is over in Northern California, as this week's U.S. Sweet. drought monitor showed less than 60% of California was experiencing drought. Currently, 42% of the state is classified as not experiencing drought conditions, a huge improvement from just 3% that was droughtless last time this year. Our... There you go. This is the first time since 2013 that so little the state is experiencing active drought. They have had huge storms. Have you seen any of The, the video yeah, outside yeah. Sacramento, they flooded big air, uh, plain areas outside the city to kind of keep the city from being flooded. But they've apparently got enough water. Did you hear that,
2: that anemic clap? Yeah,
3: it was kind of like a... It's almost like they've been in a drought for years. It's like, yeah, we need some water. <laughs> and finally, the Obama family has a reputation for being thoughtful, warm, and welcoming. Yes. Then there's are sunny. Sonny the dog? Obama's four-year-old Portuguese water dog. It bit an 18-year-old girl yesterday that was visiting his daughter, do- on Monday, that was visiting Whoa. his daughter.
1: Lasuit.
3: TMZ reports leaving her with a gash under her eye that requires stitches from the Obama family physician. What? TMZ says the unidentified friend bent down to pet and kiss Sunny, who responded by chomping down on her face. According to reports, Bo, the original first dog, was not involved in the incident. Bo knows nothing. <laughs> Bo had nothing to do with it. Holy cow. So the girl got a gash on her face.
2: That's, that's traumatic. If I were
4: her, I wouldn't ask for money. I would just say, you know what, President Obama? I'll ask for a favor from you one day. Yeah. It's going to be big. I won't say when.
2: I wonder th- if he'll pardon the dog. Mm. Or just send him out to the <laughs> trainer. Uh, again, not to brag, okay, but I have a close relationship. Which is what people say before they brag. Yeah. Yes. I have a close relationship with presidential dogs. Nice. I've actually met mm. at the White House. Where else would you meet them? President Clinton's dog that died in a car accident at Chappaqua. Uh, Ch- uh, chappaquiddick that's what story. wait are you bragging that, because um, you had something to do with it no oh okay he just stuck his hands through the gate i just met the met dog. the dog he uh, president clinton's dog licked my hand Yeah, there you go so i i'm just bringing that up because that's pretty magical it's your brush with with fame right i there. still have not washed that hand
4: i don't feel like i can be in the same room with you anymore you're fine but it's mostly because you didn't wash your hands after that
2: <laughs> kind of disgusting gross. um Really cool moment yesterday with President Obama and Vice President Biden. Did you see that little yes. love fest? That President Obama presented to Vice President Biden the, Vice, the presidential medal of honor.
3: Yeah. The highest honor, civilian honor you can receive. Surprised him with it. It was beautiful. He wasn't aware that was no, happening. No, it
2: just floored him like he doesn't deserve this. And, and then they just cried through it. It was cool. Yeah. That's cool. I like their friendship. I mean, I think in D.C. you don't have friends, but those two like each other.
3: I've heard other opinions on that
2: <laughs> event,
3: but yeah, yeah, that's sure, yeah, we'll no, go with that one. No, they
2: like each other. They ought to have
4: their own morning show, radio show, you know, that would be fun. Joe maybe. and Barack, Barack and Joe. Barack Joe! Doesn't that sound like a meal from the Middle East? We'll do some more brainstorming. Barack,
2: maybe, maybe a sitcom. Nah. Let's just let them go. Let's. I mean, they're loving it right now. Oh yeah, they're out of there. It's like eight days. They're out they're of here. They're both going to make Seven a lot days. of money. Huh? And now, Joe's got a medal. Tell me, he won't wear that everywhere. <laughs> I mean, he wear that into Starbucks,
3: huh?
2: grocery store, yeah. getting gas, presidential medal of honor. That will at least get you a free upgrade to a Grande. He's out mowing the <laughs> lawn, <laughs> going for the Grande. Um, So congratulations to Vice President Biden. And really, again, a classy move from our president. Um, There's just so much. There's so much to talk about. But uh, instead of, you know, getting more into politics, because there's so many things we could get into there. We thought we'd lighten your load a little bit today by talking about movies. And Shik Shumway, one of our great reporters, is uh, on the scene of a movie opening. Is that what we call this? He says it's a big, big blockbuster she, movie that's out this weekend. Yeah. He, he's been begging for this assignment for months, right? And, uh, you know, Schick's had, she, he's had a hard run lately. Yeah, he keeps choosing
4: stories where we can't hear him very well. You know, some explosion at a factory or cars honking their horns loudly so we can't hear him. So
2: so we've asked him, whatever happens today, we really want to make sure his audio is working great, that we can hear him. And he's like, don't worry, because this is the biggest event of my year, probably my decade. Well, we're, what, two weeks into the month? Schick doesn't get out much. He also, interestingly, he's not a man of technology. He doesn't. He does. He has a phone, but it's like a brick phone. So we thought, let's do this. So we're going to go to Schick now at a movie theater. Do you know where the theater is? I think he said he's in Salt Lake City. Okay. Okay. So we're going to go to Salt Lake City with our reporter Schick Shumway on the latest uh, uh, movie release. I'm standing outside the
4: Cinemark Movie Theater here in Salt Lake City, and I've got to say I was expecting a much bigger crowd for this weekend's biggest release, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. So far, it's just been a few employees trickling in through the back door. No costumes, nobody camping out, no lines that stretch on for miles. Hold on a minute. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm heading over to a pretty sizable line that's a little distance from the theater... Uh, Yes, it appears this line is wrapping around the building. Let me see if I can get a quick interview with the first person in the line. Excuse me, sir, how long have you been waiting in line to see Rogue One? Rogue One? I'm not here to see Rogue One. This store is releasing the new Samsung Fireproof, and the first 20 people in the line get a $100 discount. Oh, forgive me. Well, congratulations, sir. Well, Matt, I guess Star Wars fans have chosen not to believe all the hype or good reviews surrounding Rogue One. So if you're hoping to see Rogue One on opening day, you should have no problem getting a ticket. However, if you were hoping to get the $100 discount on the new Samsung Fireproof, it looks like you're going to be disappointed. I'll stick around here a while longer in case people do start showing up. Reporting live from Cinemark in Salt Lake City, I'm Shik Shumway. Hmm.
2: Thank you, Shik. Rogue so, One. So no, no audio problems? No, he nailed the audio. It's just he has a Rogue One problem, right? That was released like a month ago. Oh, yeah. This isn't a new movie. So why? Ro- uh,
4: Shick is clueless. Not to be rude. He's still down there. Do you think we should? No. Oh, okay. let's,
2: let, let's let him hang out. So you're just going to let him I'm keep see reporting can, on the movie this – I'm going to wait see how long it takes to figure this out. Okay. One month ago. Rogue One came out a month ago. You know, we do have some work that we could have him do here. No. No. Terry's seen Rogue One eight times since then. Hmm. And Schick didn't even know it had been released. So, no. Let, let Schick figure it out. Let's see how long it takes. We have a three-hour show. Let's go back to him two or three times. Let's find out if Schick ever figures this out.
4: Is it possible he pre-recorded it like a month ago?
2: Oh, no. He's no. there now. Yeah, he told me yesterday he hasn't even seen the movie. He hasn't seen the preview. He hasn't seen anything. Wow. He's excited, though. He was excited, and then he's got to look like an idiot. I mean, because he's he's going to be asking everybody about it. You're
4: just going to
2: let him keep looking like an idiot? Well, I'm just... <sighs> okay. I thought it was going to be some brand new, you know, movie. A Mel Gibson thing. (laughs) You know? That movie's also about a month old. (laughs) Talking about his new one. Mel's always got a new one coming out. Hacksaw Ridge 2. Yeah. This one, I think it's, this one was something about, yeah, Meryl Streep story. Him suffering through the...
4: He directed the the
2: Meryl Streep Golden Globe speech. (laughs) Yeah. So... We'll get back to Schick, uh, but I'm going to let him let him stew a bit, see if he figures this out. Schick's on my holy cow. Anyway, we will take a break when we come back. We'll be talking about American character and uh, what it takes to to balance individual freedoms as well as uh, you know democracy and and the freedom to to grow, to learn, to to uh, just. Get into it. Get into life. Test it. Democracy is a tough thing, folks. We'll be talking um, with a True Blue expert. Get some insight on that. Stick with us, folks. Helping you find some peace, hopefully, in this crazy political time. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. When you see all of the tension that exists between Republicans and Democrats, um, you know, it's it's a hard battle. And you see it with uh, all of the Senate hearings up on the Hill as members of um, President, Vice President and President-elect uh, Trump's cabinet are being evaluated. Tensions arise, right? So the balance ...that we see between these parties, but also trying to strike a balance between individual rights against societal needs. It's been an ongoing strugg- struggle, and for some, in some way, we need to create and find a balance. Joining us today is Colin Woodard, author of American Cult, uh, Character, A History of the Epic Struggle Between Individual Liberty and the Common Good. And he explores America's regional col- cultures in his book... He outlines the political, ideological, and sociological predicaments that result um, because of these regional cultures he 's here today to discuss it with us. We appreciate his time. Colin Woodard, thanks for being here
5: well, thanks much for having me.
2: What an interesting timing i think uh, for your book. T- talk to us about this struggle uh, it, this the struggle between you know human rights, individual rights, and everybody there 's so many kind of distinctive predicaments and rights that we're fighting for um, and situations and yet and the overall good of the of the community in the united states how do we balance individuality with community
5: right because it's such an important issue what you know the country is so polarized politically and indeed the polarization is geographic as well it goes down almost to a regional cultural level right and so in american character i was trying to Probe that what is really at the core of the struggle and the fight that's been going on, not just in recent years and decades, but throughout the history of the American Republic. And it comes down to a, a fight about freedom, right? In general, the American story is about how to maximize freedom and create, you know, what scholars call liberal democracy, a democracy where, you know, you're aspiring for all individuals to have sort of universal, you know, freedom and autonomy. How do you do that? And the big struggles basically boil down to two camps, two ideas about how you do that. And there's various variations on it and subtleties, but the basic idea is, you know, when individual liberty and the common good come into conflict, on what side should you err? And there's a whole spectrum. On one side, you know, on the near flank, you have individualists who who say that, you know, that the point is to have individual freedom, and therefore you want to remove encumbrances on the individual. On the other side, you have a philosophy that says that individuals can only be free if you've built and create and maintain the structures of society that allow that to happen, to allow individuals to be able to exercise their freedom in a world where, for eons, humanity has lived where, where um, despotism and uh, autocracy were the norm. Mm. There were no liberal, de- liberal democracy. The idea of mass freedom wasn't even an idea on anybody's agenda until, you know, a few thinkers 400 years ago. And, you know, we've been experimenting awkwardly with it ever since. For thousands of years of human civilization before that, that was not the case. So the idea is that, you know, that you have to build and maintain institutions. Each of those philosophies, though, in extreme, ironically lead to tyranny. Right? You could mm. go down one path towards the common good and collectivism where eventually you end up with all, you know, power and motivation being handed over to the keepers of the common good, you know, the state or the party or the fatherland. You end up in Nazi Germany or Stalin's Russia. But in the other direction, if you keep going towards a radical libertarian future, what's happened time and again in history is power starts accreting to a few individuals who maximize their individual freedom and take it away from everyone else. And you end up with a sort of oligarchy, you know, like late 20th century Guatemala or El Salvador, where, you know, the 10 families or the, you know, eight families in capitals have, uh, you know, taken over and maximized their freedom and own all the land and the courts and the army and get rid of
6: anybody. Right.
5: So both extremes are bad. So the whole book is about an exploration of our history, but about how you balance those two forces. Because if the extremes are bad, then in theory, there's a balance point for any society where those two essential aspects of freedom are in equilibrium. Where is it and what is it in the American context and, you know, going through history to try to understand it?
2: Well, and can it be sustained? It seems like it seems like, you know, as I think about a scale trying to balance individual rights and common good, that's always in flux, right? So you might hit it for Absolutely. a day and you're around. like, oh, we nailed it that day. But the <laughs> next totally day right. it's <laughs> out of whack again. But and it's interesting. You bring up a, a, a an interesting point about institutions. So then institutions are created for the common good and for the individual to pull for the individual rights. And then the, the institutions go competing, too. So it's not just yeah, people and ideas yeah. it's institutions it's uh parties i guess it's um it's it, it's a lot is it does it get to a point where because you say this is regionalized too
5: yeah because if you know we're talking about a, a a culture and fundamental values, and the argument in the book preceding this American nations and that this book is built on is that our divides are Regional. You look, you know, look at those red state, blue state maps, and right. keep seeing the same patterns again. If you look closer at red state and blue, uh, blue, red county and blue county maps, it becomes even more profound. There are fissures that run through various states and are consistent through time and over and over again in our history. Um, you see, um, whenever there's a closely contested election or issue, you see the split on the same fault lines, and the reason for that. Because those fault lines, those those differences can be traced right back to early settlement patterns, Hmm. early migrations, and the differences between the different settlement flows, many of them tied back to the differences between the initial colonies along the eastern uh, seaboard and southern rim of what's now the United States, which had totally different ideas about all sorts of things, including how you balance individual freedom and the common good. So the deep, you know, there's not an American consensus on it because... Each of our regions has a very different idea of where that balance point should lie, which has made our history really messy. And mm. go to a lot of other pure liberal democracies. You know, go to, you know, France and Germany and Japan and in those countries, you know, there are political differences, but there's broad consensus on the basic ideas of where the you know the mix and balance should lie, not so here. And that's what makes our politics uh particularly Confusing and acrimonious, especially since people aren't really aware of the backstory and the reasons for all these. Oh issues. yeah,
2: well, and to and to just you know to bifurcate it into into these two ideas, you, you can see. Yesterday we had a discussion about um, about uh, property rights, really, but kind of kind of more about public lands and state lands versus. Um, you know, ranchers rights. And so a lot of the West are frustrated with the D.C. bureaucracy because their individual rights are being taken away. And D.C. is saying, well, we're taking some of those right, not rights, but your property away because we want to for the collective whole of the country need to have access to your lands. And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, this is a battle about exactly what you're talking about. Common good versus individual rights
5: yeah the public lands battle in the West, which is profound in your part of the country because the federal government owns so very much of the land, yeah, but it you know tracks to everything from you know gun control discussion is about the community 's safety versus individual liberty, the uh discussions over uh women 's reproductive rights right. are about individual liberties and and common good like broader moral values held by a particular community. it tracks to all sorts of things,
2: and then it flips it seems like because it blue and red states could be opposing, you know, gun rights. So the red states may want more guns. We have individual rights for that. The blue states are like, well, yeah, but we all live together and we all die together by guns if they're out there. So it could flip. But then that those exact same states flip the opposite way where the blue states might be saying abortion rights, reproductive rights, and the red states saying that's not healthy for the whole. And it's it's interesting. And it's almost it's just polarized
5: yeah it 's funny how it can play out in some of those issues absolutely it, but you do see that that dialogue on freedom over and over again uh-huh. you know played out in our history
2: even in the hearings um the Senate hearings with all of the cabinet members you, you really there 's this you see the the polarization around individual rights are you going to protect the individual rights, Mr. Sessions, when you are attorney general or the or the exactly. rights of the whole i mean it really is it 's a pretty i guess universal truth here a basic truth about our democracy which does it mean then inherently there's just tension built in
5: there is but the the tricky you know for for long periods we've had relative stability you know from say 1945 to i don't know 1965 or 1979 depending on how you want to look at it there was fairly broad consensus in the middle on these kind of issues, you know, the, the sort of flanks of, uh, you know, tending a little bit towards individualism or a little bit towards community values, people kind of were tacking in the center through the Eisenhower administration and, and other times. But uh, at other times in our history, we've taken much more um, uh, large forays into the extremes, you know, mm. in that era between when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and the turn of the, uh, the beginning of the 20th century, where you had laissez-faire capitalism, you ended up seeing... You know, a a few corporations and individuals starting to take control of the Senate and the presidency and guiding things. And they, you know, it ultimately led to a difficult uh, economic catastrophe. And on the other direction, you ended up having times where. In the, during the Great Depression, the New Deal era, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you know, tried to start experimenting with sort of social democratic things that are not widely popular in most regions of the country in the United States, like price controls and, and even guiding and controlling the industrial economy. Um, that ended up being embraced to fight and win World War II, to have that kind of government mobilization to protect, you know, the common good and the people but was soundly and immediately rejected uh, in peacetime. Hmm. We saw that again in World War I another time. So you can see this sort of, um, this sort of parameters where when things start getting uh, too far in one direction or the other, there's an enormous swing back overall uh, in the country to try to push things back towards the middle.
2: Do you see the politics of the last 18 months as part of that swing? I see it as a
5: uh, indication of crisis. I mean, the book was written, I was writing this book before, you know, Donald Trump uh, had declared his candidacy and before the primaries were even getting underway. Back in the easier days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The book came out uh, in March, and, you know, I was writing it in sort of 2015, but the book was warning of crisis, that if we go too far down one path, and in this case, the sort of uh, laissez-faire, the idea that less taxes... And less government, less regulations have to mean more individual freedom. I mean, that's true if you're living in a in a sort of despotic, centrally controlled state. But as you move further and further uh, you know, towards a free market economy, that kind of stuff can start creating the pathologies of oligarchy. Hmm. And the book was warning that that was starting to happen, and that's a destabilizing force. And indeed, I see the past 18 months as being an uh, indication that the crisis has played out. Consider this in that individualism you know communitarianism spectrum of all the republican candidates for president there were 17 of them mm. only donald trump was not playing from that playbook of of if we had less government we have to have more individual freedom he was promising to his followers government intervention on their behalf you know for uh, infrastructure to bring back american jobs there weren't discussion of you know, tax cuts and reduction in the uh, in um, in services and programs. The discussion was all about how you could trust the the government in his form in his person to solve some of these problems that weren't being solved. In a way, it's a much more communitarian argument that we've heard from a Republican nominee. And guess what? He totally routed you know, <laughs> the entire field of some of the you know most right. uh, you know. Powerful and established Republican figures, you know, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Scott Walker, you know, he blew them all away. And on the Democratic side, you had, you know, the 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 uh, senator, former secretary of state and uh, first lady of a a previous president um, who was having a very competitive Democratic primary against somebody who was an avowed social Democrat. (laughs) And that's even more down the communitarian scale than you expect. No. So these things, it's a shake up and an indication uh, that, you know, we we reached unstable areas. And indeed, you know, we're in a situation where people are beginning to worry about whether liberal democracy and all of those safeguards are now in crisis. But I think it has to do with a a sort of long uh, preamble to this that's been going on for decades and in a sense has been uh, sort of a bipartisan excess in one direction that's that's. Um, thrown the equilibrium way off and opened the door to this
2: Mm, which yeah which means a very interesting future uh we'll we'll take a break we're speaking with um colin woodard who is the author of american character a history of the epic struggle between individual liberty and the common good when we come back we'll be talking about how do you balance it can you strike a balance and get his uh his advice on that A very, very interesting discussion. Uh, History played over and over and over again, but also cleared up with, uh, with some very basic needs. Individual rights balanced with the common good. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. We are joined by um, Colin Woodard, author of American Character, A History of Epic Struggle Between Individual Liberty and Common Good. And he helps us there explore the regional cultures as well as this kind of binary argument that's been going on forever, individual rights and the common good. They have to be balanced, Uh, and Colin has a a great history, has um, published many books, um, including The Lobster Coast, Rebels, Rusticators, and the Struggle for Forgotten uh, Frontier, Um, and we've been picking his brain, because we're trying to understand what's going on politically. Is any of this new, or is this just the same old story? Colin, thanks again for being with us. Absolutely. And it sounds like this has been the struggle since this this was the purpose of this of the democracy the the test of democracy
5: it is i mean you look at the constitution you look at the prologue as to what the purpose of the country in the document it is it speaks about you know promoting you know the freedom and prosperity of the people you know in perpetuity you know going forward for many generations and that's a powerful and important idea and I, you know i've considering, you know, what is it that are the ideas that hold us together? You know, what's the American the American way that, broadly speaking, all the regional cultures, um, you know, would agree upon, even though they'd have very different answers how to do it? And it boils down to something like this. You know, um, Americans are kind of distinctive in that we believe the best way to have a, you know, a free society and to do things is to have, you know, this this merit-based competition between individuals and their you know, ideas and institutions and products and whatnot that if you had this this free uh exchange and made the best person win, then uh that's gonna create a free and dynamic society, which is very true and has in many respects done that. Mm. But here's the catch to it all. There's a counterintuitive to it, right? Because, you know, if in theory you know, everybody just went out there as atomized individuals, uh, you know, on a on a on an empty playing field, over generations what happens? You know, the you know, wealth tends to accrue and retain in families and in and in entities, and within a few generations, a few people are going to start at birth, not on an even playing field but right. you know, way ahead of everybody else, and other people will be locked out of any possibility from birth through no fault of their own so if that plays out, what you end up with you know if you play at ten generations is an aristocracy right. Mm-hmm. Uh, inherited privilege. It doesn't have anything to do with you or your merit, your merit-based struggle or anything. Uh, had you start, you know, with a trillion dollars and a mansion and the people down the street, you don't have a hope of anything. So there needs to be a countervailing mechanism, and there always has been in liberal democracies. The counterintuitive is to have everybody have a chance, you know, universally of exercising their, you know, their talents and. Uh, and, and And fighting a fair fight in that in that American struggle we have, you have to have investments in the institutions that ensure that that playing field remains free and fair over time. You need to have you know the investments in the schools and the highways and libraries mm. and hospitals and all of those things you know in in today's era, in you know colleges and and uh, financial aid and all those things that make it possible to keep the playing field genuinely fair so that you don't end up with those wide gulfs and disparities that in effect mean that you no longer have that free, you know, uh, American, uh, you know, struggle of ideas that the system ends up being rigged over time just by its own logic. Mm. So that's where the balance lies. And so the answer I think into in, in balancing those things has to do with, you know, considering these things in terms of fairness, how do you preserve the fairness of that uh, of our society, so that everybody has, you know, a shot at their at seeing and realizing their potential and exercising freedom, and that that is a good metric for figuring out, you know, your public policy choices as you go out and look at them, whatever they may be. Right. And we've done that in the past. You know, there's been an equilibrium in the past that was bipartisan and had broad regional consensus. You know, throughout the uh, you know the 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 second half, well, the sort of middle years of the 20th century, but um, that consensus has since been lost, and I think part of it is because that keeping your eye on that fairness as your metric, I think, uh, fell by the wayside. And the book goes into a great deal more detail, but at a sort of orbital view, that's kind of the big picture idea uh, that I that I drive towards.
2: It's fascinating, and it's, um, but then then so as if as if it wasn't complicated enough. You, it's even more complicated, it sounds like, just simply because it's regionalized. And
5: yeah, it's regionalized, which makes it so much harder. Yeah, so and yeah. I mean, if you look at the differences between the regional cultures, say, between the part of the country that was originally settled by the early Puritans and their descendants and spread out over the very northern tier of the, you know, Great Lakes states in New England, upstate New York, and you compare its, you know, fundamental values to, say, the... Uh, uh, the area colonized by uh, by Scots, Irish, and lowland Scots, hmm. and people from the, the, the basically the frontiers of England, the war-torn frontiers, yeah. who came in the 1730s and 1740s to south-central Pennsylvania, to the top of the Appalachian Mountains, and then poured down the Appalachians and through the Ozarks and so the southern tiers of some of the Midwestern states. Those two regions have, in terms of fundamental values, disagree on virtually hmm. everything. One's radically about... Um, individual liberty and personal sovereignty, and that, you know, orderly efficient government is itself a threat to freedom. The other, the sort of, you know, Yankee zone, uh, comes from a heritage where people arrived as a messianic people, trying to build a more perfect and godly society on Earth and did it through shared institutions, and the emphasis on the good of, and needs of the community above that of the individual who had to stand down, which may sound a little familiar in Provo. Yeah, totally. important migration. migration is an offshoot from this culture, mm-hmm. right? It, it, you know, uh, Smith being from Vermont and then uh, New York and Illinois is yeah. an offshoot of that. But those are two very different ideas about what you know the the good life or the society should be like, and have all sorts of implications that follow from that. So you got a federation. That's a federation that sort of uh, contains all of these stateless nations, so to speak, that don't agree on a lot of this stuff. And yes. It's made our history very complicated, and explains lots of things in our history. From you know the debate, at the constitutional convention, and why we have a you know an aristocratic Senate and a sort of priestly cast uh, you know, Supreme Court and a and a kingly uh, chief executive and a highly democratic House. I mean, these all boiled down to arguments between convention uh, goers from different regions, or the Civil War, or almost any debate through our history. So it's a rubric that's essential to understand to start tracking the, the differences we see on the political stage past and present and to understand what the values are that are actually behind them.
2: Has are the values have they been institutionalized enough in the country and in the paradigm and the ideology of independent and individual rights versus the the also fighting for the common good is is are the paradigms and ideologies deep enough to 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 make the country uh able to survive a swing to either side i mean is is the country robust enough to handle you know a fifty year journey into into one extreme over another
5: that's the great question for ourselves in the world i think if history's a guide the answer is yes we've been through terrible crises before i mean the the Civil war and, yeah. and and others you know the, the the country disagreed in the war of eighteen twelve and at all sorts of different times uh, and have managed to you know not only hold together but be a highly successful and build ourselves into a you know global power that at different times uh, led the world but you know the question is, is that still true now? Are institutions able to hold up and, and one uh, certainly hopes so and uh, <laughs> and I cross my fingers, but this is definitely a moment where Those institutions and values are being challenged, uh, and uh, you know I think people who care about the American experiment need to be uh, vigilant and engaged.
2: And and as part of the engagement, um, what would you what advice would you give us? I mean, because it seems like too is if we would evolve um, in awareness of each other's culture in in an in a, a sincere attempt to try to understand even these regional differences. It seems like that would help us how do how can we actually go learn more and open our minds for this diversity?
5: yeah, I mean I think you know it's helpful for people to know their history in the background, which is part of what I've tried to do with the books, but yeah. more broadly, you know trying to you know it's hard because we're highly polarized, we have uh, people living in their own media environments where you know the facts and reality don't even line up uh, between the two universes, so it becomes hard to discuss the way forward when nobody agrees even the common fact of what's going on, but we need, to, we need to work towards having a common set of facts so that we can talk about them and build consensus. And uh, you know that, that collaborative consensus building of understanding one another and finding common ground and looking at the longer horizon of what, where we want to end up, what our values are, um, can lead to productive conversations. But uh, everything's become so polarized and into into armed militant camps who don't trust each other and uh, and talk past each other. That's difficult. That's definitely the direction we need to go. Yeah. And something that uh you know you know frankly I was just out in Utah on uh, the past month on an assignment uh, looking at you know like the, the whole Envision Utah experiment over mm-hmm. time, which I think in and of itself is a rather fascinating you know model in microcosm of how you do some of those things. So it is possible, and I've seen that in my reporting and cities and co- across the country in totally different regional cultures where people from different parties, you know, working for the good of their, you know, metro region or city are able to put things aside and work towards building common good, you know, missing common good institutions that the market can't provide and that, the, you know, the, the government is incapable of or can't afford to do. You're, you're seeing those kind of partnerships. So it can be done. It's just we need to stop and take a breath and realize that we need to do that because, you know, if we don't, the republic is very much in peril.
2: Oh, so true. And again, I mean, I, I saw it with uh, President Obama's election. I thought, OK, so a white Utah boy uh, voting for a black president in, a, a, and a Republican voting for a Democrat and feeling nothing but good about it um, and yet sitting there thinking, what's wow. I never thought this could happen and loved the moment. And I felt like that was one of those moments of balance in my in this in this individual rights versus, uh, you know, common good. Right. And then the and then I it hope, ex- right? then it swings to an extreme and I'm frustrated with Obama. Then it swings to another stream and extreme and I'm frustrated with a Trump. I, I guess it's just the dance.
5: I think, yeah, tons of people feel that way. The extremes, though, you know, even historically speaking, this is uh, definitely an unusual territory we're in and and worrisome. But, uh, yeah, I think many people have had the experience that you've had.
2: Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, really, it is a beautiful opportunity we have, but it also demands some character.
5: Yeah, character. And, you know, we need some – there needs to be leadership out there in the country towards this. You know, yeah. and there's some people, you know, who tried to raise their voice, but are lost in the cacophony. But, you know, a lot of these things do require somebody, you know, to who people respect to to stand up and start fighting for it, and have other people stand up and mm. join them. But, you know, we need that. <laughs> we we did that quest for the consensus uh, uh, very badly, and some people to to. To
2: take up the spear. That's right. I, I totally agree, and and I and, and especially take up the spear. If you can do it while being able to invoke both sides of the argument, even the whole the common good and the individual rights, because you see both sides of the argument. Boy, we need we do. It's leadership that we need. Uh, Colin Woodard's his name, and uh, wonderful wonderful resources. Uh, his book, American Character: A History of Epic Struggle Between Individual Liberty and Common Good. Another great book is American Nations, a history of the 11 rival regional cultures of North America. We need to know our history, folks, if we want to create a future worth having. And uh, this is a great place to start. We'll take a break, come back, giving you more hope about life and liberty. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. So um, I I spend a lot of time in corporate America working with uh, and and doing what we call dialogues, where we would sit down and it's basically mediation, and we would try to hear two sides of an argument and and build a co- build a, a coalition on uh, to find a new answer, not your way, not my way, a new way. And one of the tricks I learned in doing that is I would always look for. Um, ways to find and introduce my story, which might be kind of my individual rights, what I need, but what the group needs. And so there's always going to be a battle between you and the group, and it's going to switch. So right so right when you're a member of the group and everyone around you all enjoy the same rights, there's going to be eventually conflict with some other individual that's on the outside that's going to want to battle as humans, we have the ability to always be thinking, what What are my needs, but what are the group needs? And then when I'm in the group, what are the people on the outside's needs and thinking, and what are they lacking? If we could just get that self-awareness of others who aren't in when we are and how I can help communicate better to those that are in, man, we could do something. We could do it in our families. We could do it in our communities. And fewer people would be drawn out of the circle. Anyway, powerful idea, folks. It's good to be an American. It's good to be alive. We'll take a break. This is the Mad Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on
1: the
6: side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This
2: is the Matt Townsend Show.
7: Dr. Matt Townsend.
0: Now on BYU
7: Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Welcome back. Happy Friday, everybody. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We helped you through another week. You couldn't have done it without us. Why do you laugh? I just think it's funny. Okay. It's just funny. Man, have we got a good show for you. Happy Blame Someone Else Day. You know, I think, I, I feel sorry for Schick, but
4: I don't, I don't think it's his fault that he was reporting on Rogue One a month after it came out. Why? It's not his fault. I'm, I blame Obamacare.
2: That's a good point.
3: Everybody else is.
2: Chick Shumway, our roving reporter, who, he's been, he's been struggling lately. He's been a bit off his game. Uh, we've probably had five or six reports from him, and I think I've only ever been able to hear three of them. This one you could hear. I could hear this one. He's reporting um, on what he thought was a big release of a new movie, and then he got there and he found out. Well, I don't think he knows. Oh, yeah. He hasn't found out. But the movie – well, we'll we'll let him explain it in a minute, but – I'm, blam- I'm blaming him Today's blame someone else day I'm blaming Schick But you're blaming Obamacare For why Schick thought That Rogue One was being released today Even though it was released a month ago Right Yeah He should know that And if he got rid of his brick phone He'd not only help his back Because he's got back problems He'd also He would have known that Because it would have been up I mean all Non-stop On his phone uh, we'll get to all that craziness. Plus, uh, some some news and information on if you're a woman trying to make it in this world and break through the glass ceiling and be successful, there are some tips for you. So we will be talking with a true trailblazer, a female who, is, uh, who broke through uh, the Wall Street Journal's glass ceiling. And uh, we'll be talking to her about some tips. Again, Hillary Clinton could have broken the biggest of all glass ceilings. But apparently Donald Trump and the Russians beat her to it.
3: <laughs> you can't just say that. I know. Allegedly. Sorry. There you go. We'll That's you your favorite go. word. You it's, it's a good word. It's a great word. You can say almost anything followed by allegedly and you're safe. Yeah. Or people, unsighted sources, yeah. say... Anyway, are we'll you get
2: are to fake that. news. You are fake. You news. are fake news. He, he, that, that <laughs> those are his very words to CNN, which they're still they're still out there, you know, trying to get ahead of that. Trying to get ahead of that. Yeah. So we'll get to all that fun plus some crazy headlines as well. Again, apparently the criminal element they they're just not listening to the show. No, because
3: we help them every day. We'll get out there. We'll get the right hashtag someday, and people yeah. will find it someday.
2: Yeah, we we coach a con. And we show you how if you're going, if you're going to create a, uh, do a criminal act, we teach you how to do it the proper way. Mm. No one's listening except the non-cons. <sighs> what are you going to do? Anyway, we'll get to all that fun. But first, to the real news uh, with
3: Terry South. What's up, Terry? Update on the uh, confirmation hearings. Yes. I believe there are more going on today. Oh, good. Are they? Are they good doing it? I'm not I sure. Think, if I thought they were, yeah. Maybe some rollover, maybe yeah, a day two. Yeah, got to wrap them up. Well, the rest of the, and a lot of people had to get back home. Right. It's the weekend. got to mm-hmm. take a break from that long week of work. It's three whole days. Starting off with HUD Secretary. Yeah. Ben Carson talking with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is worried that Donald Trump is going to kind of shutter some properties and might be eligible for some HUD money. So she's asking him... Uh, ben Carson will do play clip one.
7: My concern is whether or
0: not among the billions of dollars that you will be responsible for handing out in grants and loans, can you just assure us that not one dollar will go to benefit either the president elect or his family?
8: It will not be my intention to do anything I- to, to benefit any American. Understand that it's for all Americans. Let everything
3: me. that we do. Okay, so wow, he didn't mean to say he would not do. His intention is not to do anything to benefit any American. That I'm not here to he benefit Americans, wrong, but that was yeah, funny.
2: That was pretty funny.
3: That made me laugh when I saw that clip. Yeah. All the other clips are you know business and it's kind of boring, but that was funny. Mm-hmm. And and no one stopped. They just kept trucking along. She asked another question. Just kept moving. You know like, that'll did, be a meme. Did anyone catch that? So in other news, Donald Trump's nominee for the CIA chief on Thursday took aim at Russia and agreed with intelligence officials that the Kremlin orchestrated a cyber attack on the hopes of altering the U.S. election outcome, distancing himself from the president-elect's desire to develop a friendship with Russia. Representative Mike Pompeo, a Republican from Kansas, told senators during his confirmation hearing that it's pretty clear about what took place here is about Russia's involvement in efforts to hack information and to have an impact on American democracy. Hmm. So that's... That's big news. A little separate from president-elect. He, again, he's taking on the his own chief. Also, uh, there seems to be some issues with James Mattis. He's f- up for the... Uh, Mad Dog Mattis? Isn't he the Defense Department? Yeah. Yeah. So he's he said uh, that the deal with Iran... He's, uh, he seems to support the, uh, the nominee when he comes to scrapping the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, he said the Senate confirmation during Thursday that the deal is an imper- imperfect arms control agreement. He thinks that the U.S. must uphold the deal. We should stay with it, which Trump has dabbed. Are dubbed one of the dumbest deals ever. Yeah. Mattis argued that the agreement, which involves the U.S. and five other countries lifting its sanctions on Iran and exchange in exchange for restrictions on its nuclear program, is integral to security in the region. So Trump's saying you got to
2: get rid of it, but Mad Dog Mattis, his defense secretary, is saying no. We made an agreement. You have to keep your agreements in this world. And he
3: goes, we ga- America ga- gives her word. We have to live up to it with our allies. Yeah. We
2: can blame politicians for doing the deal, but we got we to deal with it. So, again, another, Make a
3: new deal. another deviation from the, can, the mm. uh, president-elect. So we'll see where that goes. Um, other news. Amazon on Thursday announced an, an ambitious plan to add more than 100,000 new full-time and full-benefit jobs to its already massive U.S. labor force in the next 18 months. Amazing. No confirmation from the Trump uh, organization whether that's their doing or not. Well, of course it is. Or if they're they going to take credit and add it to the total. I mean that's really
2: interesting though because Amazon, they were probably bringing jobs a year ago.
3: They knew they'd do this. Right. They're and, they're coming to uh, fulfillment centers being constructed in California, Florida, New Jersey, Texas, and other states.
2: That's huge. Hundred thousand jobs. Oh, wow, look at he, what he's doing. It's already changing Amazon. And, and Je- is it Jeff Bezos who's over?
3: Yeah, that yeah. he called out oh, because yeah. he owns the They're Washington buddies now. Post. He's helping them. Mm. And finally, the inauguration of a new president is traditionally one of the biggest events of the year in Washington, D.C. But if bus parking figures are anything to go by, Donald Trump's inauguration may not even be the big, city's biggest event next week. Wow. Right? D.C. council members tells the local channel there that only around 200 requests to park charter buses at RFK Stadium, the main such parking facility, have been made for January 20th. So 200 buses for January 20th. It's supposed to be 60 degrees, by the way. Right. There has been at least 1,200 requests for bus parking permits for the day after the inauguration when the Women's March on Washington, called the Million Woman March. Yeah that's so 1200 bus permits for that day 200 for the inauguration when obama was inaugurated there was 3000 buses huh. that were used to bring people into washington dc well but now here's
2: what you got to check maybe it's because they have more airplanes coming in landing could be right because there's, there's a lot of billionaires so maybe they have
3: 3000 you know challenger jets trying to land i'll talk about next hour trump has raised uh, like double the money that Obama was able to raise for his in the last or his first inauguration. Really, he's doubled it. So this. We'll guy, talk, we'll well, talk this about guy knows again. how to party. Yeah, and, 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 isn't that interesting? Yeah, a third of the buses, I guess. Yeah. So wow. 200 versus the protest the next day. Mm-hmm. And then Obama had 3,000 buses for his for his inauguration, whereas Trump so far has 200. And
2: so. don't you find it ironic that Trump will be not will be inaugurated and the very next day a million women will march? Well,
3: I mean if you remember the million man march, it yeah, yeah. didn't quite hit that number.
2: So 50,000 women will yeah. march. Right. Uh, yeah. I bet they'll have something to say about that. But
3: they're, they're complaining because there's not a lot of men that are supporting the women's march. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how that boy, goes Boy, what
2: up. a weird day to time it. I guess they're trying to time it yeah. around a, an inaugural – because I mean, it seems like that would be bad timing.
3: They, they figure there's going to be just – the protests in D.C. will be uh, – um, off the hook might be a way to describe it. Yeah, But I'm hoping it's more Democratic convention than Republican convention. Republican convention was pretty boring. Yeah, that was weird. The Democratic convention was pretty fun, <laughs> at least to watch on Snapchat. Oh, boy. Well, that's
2: good. Well, speaking of fun um, – Many of you may have seen Rogue One. I haven't seen it yet. Why not? Um, do you hate Star Wars? No, because we went to La La Land. Fun? I went to La La Land with my wife for kind of like her birthday, like a
3: not a, bir- but a little celebration. Yeah. And what does that have to do with Star Wars? Well. How many days ago was that? That was like two weeks ago. Yeah. What have you been doing the last two weeks? We're working. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a busy man. Well, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Family.
2: Yeah, but see, now, because we won't be here Monday, I'll be able to take my kids. I'll go to Rogue One, huh. and we will celebrate. You've
4: got to have more free time than Terry and I do. Because when no. you start a sentence by saying, now what movie do I want to go see this weekend? Yeah. Some, that is a sentence that
3: never comes out of my mouth.
2: Oh, yes, it is. No, Every sentence you say... You know the latest movie, and you've well, seen yeah, it. but right.
3: you, you plan your time to go see a specific oh, movie that's right, because, like you with Rogue One, we don't wonder what we're going to do because we know we oh, have kids. Yeah,
4: we have to plan months yeah. in advance. You guys have
3: kids. Wait till your kids are older,
2: then it's easier. Yeah. Poor Shik Shumway, uh, one of our great reporters,
3: intrepid reporters.
2: <laughs> intrepid. You, you keep forgetting his title, reporters. Shik Shumway. Um, Was really, is really excited to um, announce a new movie that will be launching today, according to Schick. And he is on the scene in Salt Lake City Hmm. at the, I guess, the launch of this movie. So let's just turn it over to Schick. Schick? Matt, I've come in contact with the first
4: movie patron who's waiting to see this weekend's biggest release, Rogue One, and he's actually camping out near the theater. So, uh, sir, you're obviously a huge Star Wars fan, is that right? Excuse me, sir. Uh, Sir, could you wake up, please? What do you want? Uh, Forgive me, sir. I I was just wondering how long you've been camping out here to see Rogue One. I'm not camping out to see Rogue One. I live out here. Will you please let me get back to my sleep? Oh, terribly sorry, sir. Well, Matt, I was anticipating a much bigger response from Star Wars fans. If people don't start showing up soon, I'm afraid Disney is going to be in quite a bit of trouble. Again, I'll stick around and make sure I don't miss any of the action, assuming there is going to be any action. Back to you,
2: Matt. Man alive. He still doesn't know. (sighs) Should we? No. Oh. Okay. This is the second hit. This is the second time we've gone to Shamway. He was so excited for the new release, he kept saying, of this new, incredibly hot movie. So he, you feel like he's
4: been there for two hours. He should know by now. If
2: he's a reporter, and maybe this is what's wrong with the media. He should know as a reporter that it was released, that Rogue One was released a o- month ago. Over a month ago. Over a month ago. Yeah. He doesn't know that. And so he goes and wakes up some guy in a tent. He thinks a guy's camping out to get into Rogue One, and it's not. It's just a guy living in a tent. He just offended an American citizen. What kind of reporter is Schick? And Jeff keeps saying, hey, we need to probably tell him. I'm not, no, we're going to give him one more shot. He better, by the next hit, we'll give him one hour. If in one hour, as a reporter, an intrepid (laughs) reporter... If he can't figure out that Rogue One was released a, a month ago, I think we need to rethink things. Again, I,
4: I don't blame Shick. I know. Why? I blame Obama's dog.
2: Well, Obama's dog bit some girl mm-hmm. has nothing to do with Shick. or Rogue One being released a month ago. It probably has more to do with it than you would think, <laughs> if you really think about it. Sounds like you just want to blame Obama. Last hour, you were blaming Obamacare.
4: I never said I blame Obama.
2: Obama I said Care. Uh, I blame
4: Obamacare and right. Obama's dog.
2: Yeah. I think it's sick. So we'll give him one more shot. I don't know what you do with this guy. And
4: I love this uh, pseudo Star Wars music. This is Stars Battles by Don Williams. Don Williams. John
2: Williams' second Estranged, cousin. Estranged. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, one other crazy story. If you are going to burglarize a business... Which business do you think would be most likely to catch you on surveillance camera? Hmm. TMZ. T- TMZ might. <laughs> if, if they're in their little uh, meeting room talking about all of, the, uh, all of the news stories. Yes. Or how about you might not want to burglarize a shop, a spy shop that sells surveillance equipment. Oh, brother. According uh, to authorities in South Florida, early Wednesday morning, a man attempted to break into a spy shop. The would-be robber tried to break into spy spot investigations by smashing its door with a rock, but he failed. Not surprisingly, his failed attempt was caught on several cameras. This is probably the last place you'd want to try to burglarize, store manager Evan Tannenbaum said. We got a whole bunch of surveillance cameras. We got hidden cameras. We also do GPS tracking devices and audio recording devices. He's also doing Sounds a like a commercial, yeah. This. So come on down to Spy Spot. Um, anyway, Tannenbaum said the store cameras captured the aspiring thief approaching the store and picking up a rock. And then all he did was he went over to the door, threw it right against it, Tannenbaum said. And it even appears that the would-be thief was aware of the surveillance cameras. He said there are signs alerting that cameras are rolling, but the guy still tried. I don't know why you would try to rob a spy store. The guy's probably not the smartest criminal. I agree. Not so smart. Again, to all the cons out there, let let me give you a little coaching advice here. Do not try to rob anything, really, that has a lot of surveillance equipment. And if you do, though, make sure you have an outfit... That covers your identity, like one of our great sponsors. Oh, yeah. The con closet. What's it called? Con... Crook closet. Crook closet. Yeah. Where you can get any outfit you need. You can get a, a Nixon mask, if you'd like, a Ronald Reagan mask. Now Trump masks are flying off the shelf for robberies nationwide. Anyway, whatever you do, don't try to rob a spy store. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking about uh, women and the hard-won lessons from one trailblazing uh, woman at the top of the business world. She's going to give advice to women on how to uh, to move on up and how to how to succeed despite the challenges that exist out there. We will take a break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. With the Obama administration coming to an end, many are left reflecting on the legacy of America's first black president. And his uh, President Obama had many firsts, right, uh, that he paved. But he had people before him that made that possible and paved the way. Our next guest is also a pioneer. Joanne Lublin is amongst the first female reporters at The Wall Street Journal. In her book, she not only shares her stories, but the insights from 50 other trailblazing executive women who broke the corporate glass ceiling for her. We are excited to have you on the show, Joanne. Thank you for being here.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Talk to me about uh, what drove you to, to do this exploration of uh, the trailblazing executive women.
0: Two things. One was that I've been writing about management issues for the Wall Street Journal for a quarter of a century. I also initiated our coverage of career issues. I do a monthly career advice column now. It's called Your Executive Career. Mm. And then third reason was I wanted to give back to millennial women like my daughter. And I did a first-person essay for a Wall Street Journal blog back in 2008 called Remember the Barriers, Which looked at some of the issues I dealt with as a young journalist when I got into the profession four decades ago. And so the combination of writing a lot about executives, uh, covering the executive search industry, writing about corporate governance, as well as doing career advice and having a millennial daughter sort of (laughs) coalesced into this book.
2: That's powerful. And you were the first female reporter at the Wall Street uh, Journal. I was not the first. Among the first, yeah. Among the first. But then true too. you became the first female deputy bureau chief of the London Bureau.
0: I became, yes, it was the first bureau to have two women in charge. Mm. There was a woman who was bureau chief uh, at the time that she hired me as her deputy, and she herself had become the first woman bureau chief at the Wall Street Journal in Boston before she moved to London.
2: And this all together, then, it motivated you. You wrote Earning It, Hard-Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. Who, who in your mind of all of them that you read about, give us a few scenarios. Who stands out? Who are some names that, that we ought to know and women ought sure. to know?
0: Well, nearly two-thirds of the women I interviewed for the book are experienced public company chief executives. And they run companies that many of your listeners have heard of. Hewlett-Packard, Meg Whitman, and is now, it's called Hewlett-Packard Enterprise since they they broke apart. A a company called General Motors, maybe you might (laughs) have heard of that. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, Mary Barra runs that. Ellen Coleman, until recently the CEO of, of DuPont. Ginny Rometti, who is the CEO of IBM, another company wow. none of us of course have, have ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Denise Morrison, the chief executive of Campbell Soup. Anne Mulcahy, the former chief executive of Xerox. Again, all Man. these women were the first woman to be chief executive of these giant companies. And so it was just fascinating to to hear Not only their stories of what they are like as CEOs, but what I was mostly focused on is, you know, how they got started and how did they get there.
2: Yeah, you um, I mean, when you name those, I mean, it sounds like women are are making some serious headway, but where where do they fit? How are they? How are they doing as far as equality in business?
0: It's getting better, uh, but it's not really, you know, yeah. you're not anywhere near parity either in the management suite or in the boardroom. Uh, a study was recently done for The Wall Street Journal uh, found that about 19% of the C-suite is now female mm. as of last fall, and that's up from about 17% in 2015. Among the biggest corporate boards, it's about one in five board members is a woman, and this yet, I did a story just a week or so ago, and I looked at uh, over 70 companies that not only do not have a single woman on their boards of directors, but this analysis was done for me, they have not had a woman on their board every year for the last 10 years. Hmm. And again, some of those companies are ones that we do business with, you and I do business with, uh, which I'm sure you've heard of, Six Flags. Um, And they all have, you know, equally convincing but not terribly convincing uh, stories for why they don't have women on their boards.
2: Is it I mean, I I guess, is it is it just still cultural? Is it I guess there's just still a bias?
0: Well, there's something called unconscious bias Mm. and some people call it second generation of gender bias. It is something that men and women both have. Uh, unconscious bias is simply how we navigate our environment. If we didn't know that a tree wasn't a tree, we'd walk into a lot of trees. <laughs> but we also, because of unconscious bias, have expectations as to how we expect our leaders to behave. And we have kind of stereotypes as to what a woman should act like True. <laughs> excuse me, when she's a leader and what men should act like.
2: And we've talked about it on the show too, Joanne, like uh, when when a woman raises her – voice, like Hillary Clinton got it all the time in her election right. that she always sounds like she's screaming. Right. That's probably the unconscious bias saying, yeah, that just sounds shrill.
0: But, but but women are just as guilty as having those unconscious right
2: biases. no right. As, a, a,
0: a, as men, it's just kind of how we're raised. and in going around the country to talk about earning it, I'm doing a lot of appearances at business schools. and the big message I leave there is we need to do unconscious bias training at the undergraduate level. Frankly, it's already too late by the time you're a, a graduate student.
2: right? Well, I mean because it, it is being unconscious, it, we it's so subtle. We don't, Because none of us want would want to be biased, but we not. are. I mean, we might feel safer with... And,
0: and, and in fact, at one point I did a story about unconscious bias training, for which I, I went to one of these trainings for the Wall Street Journal, and I figured, okay, we're going to do little exercises about, you know, who do we think somebody is when we see a tall black man walking down the street, and we're all going to say an athlete. But that's not the kind right. of biases they had us focus on. They said, okay, you've just gotten a resume from a job applicant, and you see they went to... Your alma mater? Are you going to put that resume at the top of the pile? Mm. And everybody said, "Well, yeah, of course, because I love my alma mater." And the person said, "Bingo!" There you go.
2: And it's interesting because it it does create a feeling, but the feeling's not accurate, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's like just because, oh yeah, my alma mater, that creates a, a feeling, but the feeling doesn't mean that's the most the best qualified person or someone who may feel that a male is a better president. You'll be safer with a male president or whatever. But the reality is the data doesn't bear it out. So we got to question our bias. I guess that you're saying training can help with that.
0: I think so. At least the people who promote it.
2: I mean, you think so, right? I mean, at least just awareness and yeah. And again, it's 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 hard. This is but this is if only 19 percent of the C-suite are women, then we're missing a, a percentage of, of, of perspective that we may not be getting in business. Right,
0: right. But Ta- you know what? It, it does make a difference. I did a story in September for the Wall Street Journal on what is it like at companies where a man is the chief executive, but a significant number of women are mm. is direct reports. Three or more, and and I focused on uh, several companies where they were not only having an impact on formal policies, which you would expect, you know, how they regard parental leave, how they regard flex time, they were having an in- informal impact on the corporate culture, on how people just view the way they do their jobs and where, for instance, their their family fits into all that. Mm.
2: It's I, we we all would do better to just have more diversity. There's, it just seems like there's no way around it. It impacted my life. I was raised by my mom and three sisters and it changed. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm different. I'm even in my business of coaching and relationships. I think I just see them differently and it's not, there's not a right way or a wrong way. It's just, I just see it a little differently and it's, there's no way it wasn't influenced by four women constantly reminding me and dealing with me and nurturing and talking to me. Right. Talk about mental flaw on mentalfloss.com. You, you have an article, two qualities female leaders need to get ahead. One is resilience. Yeah. Um, talk about why, what that is. We hear a lot about it with kids. Kids need to become more resilient. Um, but how, how can resiliency help women in the workplace?
0: Well, because that's the whole underlying theme of the entire book. How did these women early and throughout their careers learn to deal with obstacles, not just having to do with their gender, but obstacles of all kinds, professional and personal, and not let them, you know, slow them down or discourage them from wanting to fulfill whatever their personal and professional dreams were. And so these women were extremely resilient in the face of setbacks. Some of those setbacks consisted of not really getting a meaningful professional position when they first got out of college, having to to do a job that they thought was something they were overqualified for, not getting the promotion that they wanted when they had gotten some professional experience. Getting fired. All mm. well, these women got fired from pretty important positions. Um, and, yeah, it did it shake them to their core, but it didn't make them lose faith in their own abilities and their ability to, to bounce back.
1: Do, do you, so the
0: book is replete with these stories, which, frankly, at the end of the day, are pretty inspirational to men and women alike. Mm-hmm.
2: Because I, I'm assuming resiliency isn't just a female issue. it's a It's a universal issue.
0: Absolutely.
2: Many are even quoting it's a generational issue with millennials. And um, so I guess when we get into this too, it's it's the ability to take a hit and and not let it take you out.
0: Well, and not only that, but when you see the obstacle looming, maybe figure out a way to get a side yeah. you know, detour to get around it so it hits you but it doesn't hit you as hard. And some of that has to do with perhaps – uh, you're getting asked to take on a very risky role where the upside is great, but the downside is great. Mm. And so, you know, you may then actually get set back in your career if you take on that risky role. The whole idea about making calculated decisions about taking on risky roles is another major, major theme in the book and what many of these women epitomize.
2: You uh, bring up another point of persistence. So I guess that's the stick-to-itiveness. Just stay at it.
0: Yes. And the best story about that was this woman who was trying to break out of her career as a high school English teacher and move into the television world. A woman named Abby Raven. And she didn't know anything about television, but... Somebody suggested that she call up this guy who was the VP of programming for a brand new cable network for women that was in its infancy, uh, and he wouldn't take her call. And so she called him five times a day for 10 days, which is even more than I will do. For (laughs) I usually stop at about 40 40 voicemails. And and on her 50th try, she called the guy at 7 o'clock at night, figuring his secretary would have gone home. Bingo. Yeah. Got him.
2: Got him. And then got in. And
0: more importantly, he agreed to have her come in and talk to him, even though he said, you don't have any TV experience. I've got millions of people who want to come work for this cable television network. Why should I talk to you? And she kept saying, just meet me. Hear what I have to say.
2: And, and got the job and worked her way up and eventually... Well,
0: the job she ended up getting was a job of $3.50 an hour as a production assistant and only got the job because she kept saying to him when they were in this interview, and he kept saying, you're not qualified, you don't know TV. And she kept saying, I will do anything. And he said, do you really mean that? And he pointed to two three-foot-high piles of TV scripts on the floor. And he said, they all need photocopying. My secretary's going in the hospital t- tomorrow. Would you do that? And Abby said, of course I would do that. She comes back the next day. She's put on the payroll as a $3.50 an hour production assistant. And 13 years later, she's chief executive of A&E Networks,
2: Holy
6: which kid.
0: owns things like the History Channel.
2: Yeah. There you go. Persistence.
0: That's, per- that's persistence personified. That is a great. Great story in earning it.
2: mm Good stuff. Let's take a break, Joanne. We're speaking with Joanne Lublin, and she's the author of "Earning It: Hard-Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World." And Joanne was among the first reporters of the Wall Street, uh, female reporters at the Wall Street Journal, and done some pretty serious research here about uh, and principles that apply to all of us. Really, uh, who doesn't need more resiliency, resiliency, more persistence? We'll continue the discussion in just a minute. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world.
1: Talk about good.
7: BYU Radio.
9: Get hit, rise up, repeat. On the field, on the court, in life, the hits keep coming. But BYU offers 500 online courses for middle school, high school, university, and beyond. So rise up, learn more, be more, rise higher, repeat. BYU Independent Study. BYU is everywhere.
6: Some place, some place, some place to fall. I can't hold on much longer. Give me some place to fall.
8: Discover the best in international, national, and local artists, all live on Highway 89, weeknights at 10 Eastern on BYU Radio.
6: Give me some place to fall.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Joanne Lublin, author of Earning It, Hard-Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. She um, is, uh, is amongst the first female reporters at the Wall Street Journal and is really teaching us about trailblazing executive women and the lessons they learned. Joanne, again, thanks for being with us.
0: No problem. Happy to be chatting.
2: One of the things I'm noticing, um, and it seems a theme, is this confidence. You, to, to move up in business, you have to have confidence and self-confidence. What advice do you give for women and really, I guess, for all of us to improve our self-confidence as we go through these trials?
0: I think one of the biggest problems that many of us suffer from, particularly early in our careers when we're not sure that we're as great as we really hope that we are, uh, and I think women have the tendency to to deal with this issue more than men, is something called the imposter syndrome. Mm. And the imposter syndrome basically says, you know, (laughs) I'm really not as good as I think I am, or I got this job but uh, I really didn't deserve it. Uh, Perhaps I'm going to get exposed uh, as being not as really good as I am. And so it's really important uh, to be aware of that. And it's also very important to kind of deal with it before it becomes a showstopper for you. And so one of the neatest things about the book is that at the end of every core chapter, there are leadership lessons from that chapter, little bullets. In fact, I tell some people who are too busy to read the really neat stories. If you don't have any time to do this, but you want to get ahead and learn from these women's experience and just read the bullets at the end of each chapter. Mm. And so at the end of the chapter called Getting Ahead Later, I talk about the fact that you can diffuse this imposter anxiety by taking on small-scale assignments. Okay, and then and then conquering them and then realizing that, okay, you're agile, you're adept, uh, you can do that. And then the the next one is not so scary. And then people, you know, or you won't be telling yourself, um, you know, I'm not really that good.
2: Yeah. Little, little victories. Start obtaining these little victories. victories and then they help you. Yeah. Then they help you believe.
0: That's absolutely true. And there was one great example of this in the book, a woman named Clara, Shee, who's an entrepreneur and was the youngest woman I interviewed at the time of uh, reporting the book. When when she went to Stanford, she was racked with this imposter uh, anxiety and uh, you know the, the imposter syndrome because she couldn't understand why everyone else was studying so much less than she was, uh, and she's majoring in computer science, <laughs> a, you know, real easy major. Okay? Yeah. She graduates with a 4.0 grade point, higher than any other student completing a computer science major that year, and discovers that all these other students were just not getting as good grades as she was because they weren't studying as hard.
2: <laughs> Amazing. Did you, did you ever hear the story about Maya Angelou? Um, every time she would produce a new poem... And and uh and publish it she she said terror would come over her as she as she thought she was going to be exposed as a fake and a fraud.
0: well, that's the imposter syndrome
2: there it is, huh yeah, I mean, and you can see how how you're raised um as you know maybe a lesser seen as a lesser human or a lesser part of humanity, you right. might believe it eventually, right, and then right. it keeps you from your great victories, yep yeah great insight what other uh what other things advice do you give um, women and really all of us in in life and and what are some other lessons that come up in the book
0: Well, another lesson that comes up in the book is that it's not only important to be a resilient leader it's not only important to be a persistent leader, but it's also really important to be an empathetic
2: mm. We need more of that.
0: Yeah, we do. Uh, and it's another very common trait among many of the women uh, that I interviewed. Um, and, you know, the empathetic leaders, again, it's not something you're born with. Uh, it's something that you have to learn. And, and I've actually written career columns about um, the importance of being an empathetic leader for men and women alike, and and why that seems to be the model that many companies now are, are looking for. Um, but but again, it's not something necessarily that you can just assume that's the way you're going to behave. You right. You've got to work at it.
2: And I guess you can't assume it's a female trait or a male trait, except, no, except it seems like uh, companies are becoming more empathic. I mean, uh,
6: Empathetic.
2: yeah, because uh, yeah, I do it all the time. I, I teach uh, corporate uh, do corporate, corporate consulting. And when you walk in, we're now teaching communication skills and conflict resolution skills and how to take the place of other and things that, you know, 50 years ago weren't in the training.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So something's happening and it seems like it's um, it's elevating all of us.
0: Well, we can only hope, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, you've got to have some hope. Have you seen the new movie out, um, Hidden Figures?
0: I have, and I've been recommending it to every person I meet on the planet. Let me tell you yeah. why. Because I've gotten a number of emails from male sources of mine who, because you know they know me and like me, have gone out and read the book. And <laughs> they universally love the book, but they have the same reaction, and it's, I had no idea that this is what women have experienced and mm. continue to experience because I'm a white guy. Right.
2: So these are African-American women and their well, important no, role in NASA. Is, when I
0: saw the movie Hidden Figures, I came away with the same experience as a white woman. It was like, I had no idea <sighs> this is what African-American women experience, which is the same reaction I'm getting from white men who are reading my book.
2: Mm-hmm. Empathy. Women. I mean, we really... We're 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 learning the path of another,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: powerful, and, and I, I'm assuming there's that's one story. But you bring up fifty other examples. I guess the key is we've got to get these stories out there. We've got to get them into into our heads a little bit more.
0: Right, right.
2: What uh, what advice would you give as we wrap it up to the rest of us um, that that want to be. We don't want to discriminate. We don't want to be unconsciously biased. What what advice do you give to the average maybe male um, who wants to be helpful but not, you All know, right. overbearing and not, you well, know, patronizing? I, I,
0: again, not to sound self-serving, but I am selling a book here. I think the most eye-opening experience a male executive or a man who is trying to be more conscious of his unconscious biases could have is number one to read the book mm. and secondly to come to one of these events that I'm doing because at many of these events, it's 98 women and two men. Hmm. Um, and so I did an event yesterday, and, and it was uh, you know, just under 90 women, and then they had a corporate photographer, and they, and they, they called the guy just teasing. Uh, here's, he, he is our non-woman of the day, <laughs> but he was being pigeonholed as being something different, something separate. I did a, an event for almost 100 women at a loft. They were from lots of law firms, but a law firm hosted it a couple weeks ago, and there were two guys in the audience, and they were both very respectful, and one raised his hand after all the women had finished raising their questions. And he said, you know, now I understand how some of you women feel when you're one of the only woman in a meeting or one of two Mm. women in a meeting. I feel so much in the minority here, and I'm really uncomfortable about it, even though everyone is being very welcoming and nice to me. And so it was the experience of experiencing empathy, walking in the shoes of what it's like to be a woman uh, for these men. And we need it. even more than reading the book... Go to some event where you're the only guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, be different. I love it. Joanne Lublin, thank you so much for your great insight. Again, you can go find out more from Joanne at joannelublin.com. And just check out her book, Earning It, Hard Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. We will take a break. Come back. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Joanne Lublin, author of Earning It, Hard-Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. She um, is, uh, is amongst the first female reporters at The Wall Street Journal and is really teaching us about trailblazing executive women and the lessons they learned. Joanne, again, thanks for being with us.
0: No problem. Happy to be chatting.
2: One of the things I'm noticing, um, and it seems a theme, is this confidence. You, to, to move up in business, you have to have confidence and self-confidence. What advice do you give for women and really, I guess, for all of us to improve our self-confidence as we go through these trials?
0: I think one of the biggest problems that many of us suffer from, particularly early in our careers, when we're not sure that we're as great as we really hope that we are, uh, and I think women have the tendency to to deal with this issue more than men, is something called the imposter syndrome. Mm. And the imposter syndrome basically says, you know, <laughs> I'm really not as good as I think I am, or I got this job but uh, I really didn't deserve it. Uh, Perhaps I'm going to get exposed uh, as being not as really good as I am. And so it's really important uh, to be aware of that, and it's also very important to kind of deal with it before it becomes a showstopper for you. And so one of the neatest things about the book is that at the end of every core chapter, there are leadership lessons from that chapter, little bullets. In fact, I tell some people who are too busy to read the really neat stories. If you don't have any time to do this, but you want to get ahead and learn from these women's experience and just read the bullets at the end of each chapter. Mm. And so at the end of the chapter called Getting Ahead Later, I talk about the fact that you can diffuse this imposter anxiety by taking on small-scale assignments. Okay, and then and then conquering them and then realizing that, okay, you're agile, you're adept, uh, you can do that. And then that the next one is not so scary. And then people, you know, or you won't be telling yourself, um, you know, I'm not really that good.
2: Yeah. Little, little victories. Start obtaining these little victories. victories. And then they help you. Yeah. Then they help you believe.
0: That's absolutely true. And there was one great example of this in the book, a woman named Clara Shee, who's an entrepreneur and was the youngest woman I interviewed at the time of uh, reporting the book. When when she went to Stanford, she was racked with this imposter uh, anxiety and uh, you know the, the imposter syndrome because she couldn't understand why everyone else was studying so much less than she was, uh, and she's majoring in computer science, <laughs> a, you know, real easy major. Okay? Yeah. She graduates with a 4.0 grade point, higher than any other student completing a computer science major that year, and discovers that all these other students were just not getting as good grades as she was because they weren't studying as hard.
2: <laughs> Amazing. Did you, did you ever hear the story about Maya Angelou? Um, every time she would produce a new poem... And and uh, and publish it. She she said terror would come over her as she as she thought she was going to be exposed as a fake and a fraud.
0: Well, that's the imposter syndrome.
2: There it is, huh? Yeah. I mean, and you can th- see how how you're raised um, as you know maybe a lesser seen as a lesser human or a lesser part of humanity. You right. might believe it eventually, right? And then right. it keeps you from your great victories. Yeah. Yep. yep. Great insight. What other uh, what other things, advice do you give um, women and really all of us in in life? And, and what are some other lessons that come up in the book?
0: Well, another lesson that comes up in the book is that it's not only important to be a resilient leader, it's not only important to be a persistent leader, but it's also really important to be an empathetic.
2: Mm. We need more of that.
0: Yeah, we do. Uh, And it's another very common trait among many of the women uh, that I interviewed. Um, And, you know, the empathetic leaders, again, it's not something you're born with. Uh, It's something that you have to learn. And and I've actually written career columns about um, the importance of being an empathetic leader for men and women alike, and and why that seems to be the model that many companies now are, are looking for. Um, but but again, it's not something necessarily that you can just assume that's the way you're going to behave. You right. You've got to work at it.
2: And I guess you can't assume it's a female trait or a male trait, except, no, except it seems like uh, companies are becoming more empathic. I mean, uh, uh,
6: because
2: I do it all the time. I I teach uh, corporate uh, corporate corporate consulting. And when you walk in, we're now teaching communication skills and conflict resolution skills and how to take the place of other and things that, you know, 50 years ago weren't in the training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So something's happening and it seems like it's um, it's elevating all of us.
0: Well, we can only hope, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, there's, you got to have some hope. Have you seen the new movie out, um, Hidden Figures?
0: I have, and I've been recommending it to every person I meet on the planet. Let me tell you yeah. why. Because I've gotten a number of emails from male sources of mine who, because you know they know me and like me, have gone out and read the book. And <laughs> they universally love the book, but they have the same reaction, and it's... I had no idea that this is what women have experienced and mm. continue to experience because I'm a white guy. Right.
2: So these are African-American women and their well, important no, role in NASA. It, when
0: I saw the movie Hidden Figures, I came away with the same experience as a white woman. I was like, I had no idea uh. what African-American women experience, which is the same reaction I'm getting from white men who are reading my book. Mm-hmm.
2: Empathy. I mean, we really... We're 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 learning the path of another,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: powerful, and and I, I'm assuming there's that's one story, but you bring up fifty other examples. I guess the key is we've got to get these stories out there. We've got to get them into into our heads a little bit more.
0: Right, right.
2: What uh, what advice would you give as we wrap it up to the rest of us um, that that want to be. We don't want to discriminate. We don't want to be unconsciously biased. What what advice do you give to the average maybe male um, who wants to be helpful but not, you right. know, overbearing and not, you well, know, patronizing? I, I,
0: again, not to sound self-serving, but I am selling a book here. I think the most eye-opening experience a male executive or a man who is trying to be more conscious of his unconscious biases could have is number one, to read the book, mm. and secondly, to come to one of these events that I'm doing. Because at many of these events, it's 98 w- women and two men. Mm. Um, so I did an event yesterday, and, and it was uh, you know, just under 90 women, and then they had a corporate photographer, and they, and they, they called the guy just teasing. Uh, here's, he, he is our non-woman of the day. <laughs> but he was being pigeonholed as being something different, something separate. I did a, an event for almost 100 women at a loft, They were from lots of law firms, but a law firm hosted it a couple weeks ago. And there were two guys in the audience, and they were both very respectful, and one raised his hand after all the women had finished raising their questions. And he said, you know... Now I understand how some of you women feel when you're one of the only woman in a meeting or one of two mm. women in a meeting. I feel so much in the minority here, and I'm really uncomfortable about it, even though everyone is being very welcoming and nice to me. And so it was the experience of experiencing empathy, yeah. walking in the shoes of what it's like to be a woman yep. uh, for these men. And so we to need me, it. Even more than reading the book. Go to some event where you're the only guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, be different. I love it. Joanne Lublin, thank you so much for your great insight. Again, you can go find out more from Joanne at joannelublin.com. And just check out her book, Earning It, Hard Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. We will take a break. Come back. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So much to talk about. Uh, boy, so, Terry, talk to me. When you you brought up in the break yes. a little bit of news
3: about Apple. Apple. Uh, they're planning to expand from iPhones and laptops to original television shows and movies people familiar with the decisions are talking to the Wall Street Journal about this. The original content is an attempt to boost the appeal of Apple Music, a $10 a month streaming service that is dwarfed by Spotify, right? So the service is there. Apple reportedly already in talks to producers about buying the rights to scripted TV shows aiming to nab programs comparable to Westworld, which was on HBO, Mm -hmm. which was a huge hit. Stranger Things on Netflix was kind of a a cult sort of uh, following on that movie, kind of a hit that way for them. The Wall Street Journal... Uh, also saying movies further down the line, TV also being discussed with quote people in Hollywood. Wow! So a, a Netflix type project, but they don't want to go buy Netflix. I don't know, but that that I've heard that rumored mm. quite a bit that they just should just go do it, buy Netflix, just buy Netflix. It won't be that much money. It's already an established brand. What's you the big just deal. Buy it, set it aside, let it do its thing. Who is they again? Um,
2: it's just a, a company. unnamed sources. No, hmm. but it's a company. That will not be mentioned again because every time we mention the name, I hear a weird sound. Is it this sound?
3: Yes. Also, a guy waited 416 days to see what happened when he took his iPod, opened the stopwatch, and hit start. He wanted to see what happened when it passed 9,999 hours. What happened? It rolled over to 10,000 hours.
2: 10,000 hours? Isn't that a song? something hours. Yeah. Yeah, that was it.
3: That was brought by the Matt Townsend. So he, he had a video. Empty music. He had a video Empty of the music. moment when it rolled over and it just kept going. Wow. It was really quite uh, underwhelming.
2: I, I try to see what happens when my trip um, counter hits 9,999 miles. Yeah. It goes right back to one.
4: Can you believe I let my friend borrow my car when it
2: went over 200,000 miles? <sighs> Obviously don't care about your car. Hey, uh, it's a new year, folks, and a new time for new beginnings. There are probably a lot of habits you either want to make or break this year. And to get a jump start, you know, our, our producer, Leanna Tan, is going to give you a few tips on being punctual for your New Year's resolutions.
7: Well, I hope everyone had a great holiday and New Year. All that eating and sleeping in and partying and watching the clock strike midnight. Fun time of the year. But now, let me guess. You're back to dragging yourself out of bed and actually having to care about physical hygiene and running around having to keep track of all your meetings and appointments. And to make things worse... Having a little break and getting used to sleeping in till noon makes trying to live on a schedule again feel like having a little holiday hangover. But, let's be honest, you can't escape the cold grasp of reality. You're going to have to get back to that habit of trying to meet all those meetings and deadlines on time. And uh, Dick Clark won't be there for you this time, counting down the seconds till showtime. So, in order to make this new year one where you actually get to your appointments on time, I found an article by Hannah Smothers on DrOzTheGoodLife.com and chose my top favorite tips to bring you five simple ways to make sure you show up on time this year. And trust me, I need this just as much as anyone else. Why? Lie to your friends. Tell all your chronically late friends that dinner is at 6.30 when your reservation is actually at 7. Trust me, I've been on both sides and... It's very necessary. I've had to give up to three hours of leeway. And don't worry, you won't offend any of your friends. When my friends did this to me, I felt almost flattered. I mean, you know, like they knew me well enough to know that I wouldn't be on time. That's true, friendship. Lie to yourself. Yep, you'll need to set every single one of your clocks in your apartment and in your car ten minutes ahead. Or you can do the thing where you set one clock 10 minutes ahead and another 15 and another 20 minutes, so you never actually know what time it is, and then you'll be forced to go with the latest time just to be safe.
2: At
9: the tone, the time will be 8.78 a.m. That
7: can't be right. And then knowing you, you'll still be tempted to be late, so you'll arrive 10 minutes late according to your clock, but in reality, you'll actually be 10 minutes early. See what I did there? Yep, tricking your own brain is quite an art. Invest in a planner and actually use it. Planners aren't just there to remind you of that family event you have coming up in a couple weeks and give you time to brace yourself for that dreaded family dinner. You should be putting every single thing in your planner, even little things like walk to class or wait for the bus. So you know exactly when you're busy and where your time is going. Planning in your travel time will definitely save you from scheduling disasters. Four! Race against Siri. If you check your Google Maps or ask Siri, she'll probably give you an estimated arrival time and also provide you with some traffic delays. But you can just look at these as challenges.
3: Hurry up, we got to beat the record. Let's go.
7: I mean, yeah, Siri says it'll take me 45 minutes to get from the shopping center to my house, but that's if I follow all those little roads in the parking lot and stuff. She doesn't know my back-road-slash-off-road secrets. Five! Use your phone as a chaperone. I've had to learn this in college as I've had the desire to go to every little party or social event knowing that I had a pile of homework waiting for me on my bed. So all you've got to do is give yourself a time limit, set an alarm for that time, and then when you're at a party and in the middle of a conversation, your phone will go off and remind you to get back to the cold, harsh realities of life. But it is an easy way to slip out because you can just act like it's a really important phone call and that you have to step out of the room to answer it. Oh, hey,
9: sorry guys, I gotta take this. My pet cow died.
7: You're welcome. Yeah. So there you go. You can survive this new year without Dick Clark counting the seconds for you. You may develop some lying, anal planning, and maniac driving skills but in the end at least you'll be more punctual happy new year everyone may it be full of better habits and preset alarms well i'm leanna tan and that's my little tangent this is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
7: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend
2: Show.
7: Dr. Matt Townsend.
2: Now.
0: On BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. And happy Friday to you. It is Blame Someone Else Day. This is the day, feel free, to blame anyone else you want to.
3: The Russians. It's always the Russians. If you notice, there's a lot of that. Yeah. There's a lot of blame the Russians. I'm blaming someone
4: because this show isn't over yet. Right. Who
2: are you blaming? Uh, You're the one running it. Michelle Obama. You're always blaming... I have not blamed Barack Obama. Obamacare, Obama's dog, and now
3: Michelle Obama. You can't blame Sonny the dog. Sonny the dog. Beautiful dog, by the way. He was just overly excited and bit some girl on the face. One of... That's probably
2: why one of the daughters wasn't at his final speech. No, well, she had a test. Oh, okay.
3: Sad. And people actually jumped on uh, the website for the school she goes to and pulled up her test schedule. And, yep, for sure enough, she has a final. <laughs> they
2: did? Yeah. Get out of my business. <laughs> it's like,
3: wow, people back off. little distance
2: here. Yeah. It's also Skeptics Day. See, they were skeptics. Are you sure that's today? Yes. Okay, and it's good for you. Just take your medicine. Skeptics Day came into being to recognize all the important skeptics in everyone's lives. It isn't true that skeptics don't believe don't believe anything. They just have to see the evidence.
3: It was I, I read I read further, and the woman that kind of thought this up um, today's Friday the thirteenth, and she Shh. wanted to be skeptical about it because she was afraid of the day.
4: Really? Yeah, so,
3: so she's skeptical. Therefore, she's not accepting the day is actually here. And so she can okay. make it through the end of the day.
4: I need to see it on a calendar
2: first. Yeah. Why did – I was trying to not mention it. <laughs>
3: that's why she made up it the day. It's a
2: Now everyone out there thing. will now will see the rest of the day through the prism of Friday the 13th.
3: Not if you don't think that's a You didn't get your thing. parking
2: place you wanted? Oh, no, it's Friday I, the 13th. I got it? it. It's right next to Jeff. <sighs> Traffic backed up Friday the 13th.
4: You know, my Friday the 13th or Fridays the 13th, whichever way you want to go on that, they are routinely the best days of the year for me. Really? Yeah. Everything goes well on those days.
2: Wait till you— I got engaged on a Friday the 13th. Today is going to be different. I'll promise you that. I bet you Monday we will have a story about how this Friday the 13th didn't quite turn out as positive for you.
4: As long as I don't attempt to do anything handy around the house— hmm. Like plug in something? Yeah. Why don't you do some electrical work? <laughs> I'm going to be
3: okay. I always love that thought when you're doing some electrical work. Like, Should I shut off the power? There's that yeah, thought. Like, I'll be okay.
2: You know what? I'll just – I'll touch it quickly.
3: Yeah. It's, it'll be fine. There's a video um, I was watching earlier in the week. There's three guys. They're in England and they're riding mountain bikes. And one of them got his mountain bike caught on a barbed wire fence. And when you see how the mountain bike's caught, you have no idea how he possibly did how that. How did you but do that? They were trying to get the bike off the fence, but the, the fence is electrified. <laughs> so as they're touching the bike, they're being electrocuted. And they're <laughs> laughing about it. There's <laughs> language and stuff because they're like, ah. But they're trying to stick like sticks through the spokes and lift the tires as they're getting electrocuted. <laughs> hey, Jerry, come get my bike off this fence. The Fun new guy. watch. Hey, I saw that video too.
4: I think it was um, Steve McQueen was – was trying to get away from the Nazis. No. And so he tried to hop mm, some different. barbed wire fences.
2: I don't remember that one.
3: On
4: his motorcycle.
3: No. Um, These are three blokes, I guess you'd call them in London. Blokes. Oh. Blokes.
2: Well, he's a bloke. Um, today, by the way, we will be returning to one of our reporters uh, that may not be a reporter after today, Shik Shamway.
3: Yeah. Because Shik... H- how long are we going to go with Chick? He keeps... Putting out content well, that's wrong or
2: well, the idea is he's a good friend of Jeff's. Is that what it is? So okay. you know, when you're an FOJ, mm. we give him a shot. But he's had a he's had a history of problems because says who? <laughs> he's done six or so stories. Three of them we couldn't hear anything because he was always yeah. reporting from a an exploding scene or whatever. Just no, sad, no. and then today he was all excited because he thought that they would be they'd be releasing a new movie, like really big blockbuster film. He's been talking about it for a month. He said, "I don't want to, I don't want to tell you what it is, but just get me on the scene, and I want to do I want to do I want to announce the blockbuster film." Well, we won't name the film, but it was released a month ago, right? And so far, he he. He can't get anyone that is lining up for the movie, obviously, because it's no longer a Blockbuster. And he thought somebody was camping out right. to get in line, to, to be first in line, and it just happened to be a person that was camping out on the streets of Salt Lake City. Right. Just hassling some guy. Yeah. Do you so think he
3: knows by now? No. Well, no? we'll see.
2: Okay. That's, I, I'm not going to tell do, him. Do you Jeff think it would just bad. sort of click that, oh, wait, this yeah. movie might be out? Yeah, Jeff keeps saying, well, let's just tell him. And I'm like, no, I, right. we're going to give him one more shot. Okay. So we'll do that in a minute. Plus, uh, we're going to review movies. Uh, Jeff sat down and, and interviewed um, Rod Gustafson from parentpreviews.com mm. about the upcoming releases, the actual releases, not Shik ways.
4: Well, this one actually is – this one is also out, but it hasn't been out for a month.
2: Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. That's really good. But it, it could uh,
4: be getting some award nominations.
2: Oh, goody. Goody, goody, goody. So we'll get to that as well as uh, probably a little news flush. Plus visit the good buddies at BYU Sports Nation,
3: hero story. All that, but first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? I love the headline on this story. Lindsey Graham apologizes to Ted Cruz for that whole murder thing. <laughs> So Senator Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz appeared on MSNBC Thursday morning to discuss their joint bill to defend the United Nations over its – or defund the United Nations over its resolution condemning Israeli settlement building. But first, Graham declared that he wanted to clear the air. He said, I want to apologize to Ted for saying that he should be killed on the Senate floor. Their chummy wow. demeanor should be surprising to, or should be surprising to anyone who's followed last year's race. Here's some of the things that uh, Lindsey Graham has said. He, in addition to joking about Cruz's murder during a congressional dinner last February, Graham has called Cruz a political opportunist, labeled his Syria policy ideas the dumbest ever, and <laughs> said the Texas Senator has been just as wrong as Obama, if not worse. When asked whom he would support for President Donald Trump or Cruz, Graham said the decision was akin to being shot or poisoned. And then Graham did finally endorse Cruz, he said, but only as a way to stop Trump. There you go. And then so, Lindsey Graham was still shot. So sorry for the whole murder thing. Trump won. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry I said I wanted to kill you. President Donald, uh, elect Donald Trump's presidential inaugural committee has raised $90 million in private donations wow. for the festivities surrounding Trump taking the presidential oath of office, a record amount, twice the $43 million that President Obama's inaugural committee raised in 2013. It's not clear where that money will go, especially since the inaugural planners say he wants to emphasize a soft sensuality. And avoid a circus-like atmosphere at the inauguration. Huh? Obama's 2009 inauguration had ten balls, huge crowds, lots of A-list talent. Didn't cost the 55 million Obama raised for it. Trump has only three balls planned.
2: But now, what I heard: yes. ninety million dollars, three Trumps planned, all at the Trump Hotel in well,
3: DC. Maybe, and then the money just goes back to him. Weird. Right? That's weird. How it's that weird? Down. How it works? Hmm. But yeah, so the the, uh, the the planners said that they're they're going for. A soft sensuality. Yeah. Is kind of the the feeling for the inaugurations.
2: So. Why did that just give me the chills?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I read that and was like, all right, we'll just go <laughs> with with what they're saying. President Obama on Thursday ended the wet foot dry foot policy that allows Cubans who reach United States soil to stay and automatically have the chance to become eligible for American residency. Those who were picked up at sea were sent home. In the statement from the White House, Obama said Cuban migrants will now be treated the same way we treat migrants from other countries. The policy was put in place by the Clinton administration, and the change marks one of Obama's last while in office.
2: I mean, that's a pretty—that's a big change.
3: Yeah, but if if you've seen the videos, people racing— Up the shore, trying to get to the beach, Um, and then the immigration people tackling them in the water so they can go back to Cuba. Back in the water with you. It just seems kind of ridiculous to make it that way. And finally, um, yesterday, do you watch C-SPAN? I know you're a big C-SPAN fan. Do you like book TV C-SPAN? That's... No, I, I do stop by it because I, I always dream, man, I wish I could take my book on this show. Book TV C-SPAN is funny because it's coming from you know random libraries yeah. and there's 20 people right. and we have a camera. And who knows what's going to go down. Right, it's great. C-SPAN is conducting an internal investigation after its online video coverage of Congress was interrupted by a live feed of Kremlin-backed news channel Russia Today. Oh, The boy. RT feed aired for about 10 minutes before switching back. The initial investigation suggested that there was a internal routing error because apparently they monitor RT in their control rooms. Yeah. Maybe someone flipped a switch and put the wrong feed on. Were the Russians behind it? That's what the, that was the initial Twitter conspiracy theory. So because
2: you know Russia, I've heard. In fact, Putin has been quoted on this many times. If you could, if you want to overthrow the government, get the president and C-SPAN, and you own America, right. <laughs> are these the beginnings of another mm-hmm. scandal? You know,
4: what kind of a war?
3: Cold war. Yes. Or has it already happened and we lost? I'm just saying. Did we ah. lose and we don't even know? Yeah. c That's the thing with cyber. People just don't know. Computers have made things very, very mm-hmm. confusing. Right. And 400-pound people sitting in their basements are, are, are running the world. It's, well, and now it's all yeah, it's 400-pound people that can <laughs> hack you. And when you think about it, it's IT.
2: Yeah. Who's taking over the world? Are your IT specialists? Right. Says who? But they're not four hundred pounds sitting in the basement. No, anymore. no. Some are in. Some are in great shape. That's right. They're doing well. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's get to Shik Shumway um, again. Shik is one of our reporters, intrepid reporters, wonderful human being, friend of Jeff Simpson, F O J S, Fodge as we call him, <laughs> and he um, he's he's out on assignment to debut a release, a movie that we'll be releasing today that is humongous. Let's see what he's put together for us. 10 degrees up.
9: No, 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 no. no. Are you sure this is the way? They, they chick, air are air you there? it low.
2: Okay. chick. Did he... Alive. He can't hear us. Did he butt dial, dial you or bottom dial you? Apparently... Chance of failure. Apparently he's of listening... I think he's no, sure. movie, watching, right? he's well, watching well, Rogue One. Is this Rogue One? Yeah. yeah.
9: yeah. I don't know. Great. Thank you.
3: I Great
2: reporting. Let's just keep with this for a second. I haven't seen Rogue One.
4: I think I, know what, I think I know what happened. You know what? I think he finally figured out that it's already been out for a month. Yeah,
2: <laughs> probably. And movie.
4: so he's like, should I go back to work and get grilled by everybody in the office? Or should I just call it a day and go watch Rogue One? I think yeah. that's what he did.
2: Well, I'm going to miss him on the show. <laughs> Wait, what does that mean? Well, I... Have you made a decision? I think I just did. Wow. He just saw Rogue One before me.
3: Let's talk And this about guy it. didn't even think it would be released today. I think we need to get away from the emotion of the moment and make a uh, a decision. He, he is a good reporter. He's waiting. also a Foges.
2: Yeah. Which, does, a friend of Jeff Simpson, which doesn't seem... It seems like we still need quality over... Just Contact. don't
4: make a decision when you're angry. I'm, not, I'm actually not angry. I'm fairly disgusted. Don't make a decision when you're fairly disgusted, like don't, as the old saying don't goes. Don't
3: grocery shop while hungry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's like, don't make a decision when you're angry. Okay.
2: Three chances we gave Schick.
3: Yep.
2: He and got it. He understood, but in it, the end. Well, the good thing is he. we think he understood, right? Because he's in the movie, or at least his microphone is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He could be in there thinking, man, there's nobody in here. But he also woke up, sadly, a homeless man in Mm. Salt Lake City to ask him if he's gone to Rogue One. (sighs) And he's representing empty news.
4: Matt Townsend News. Yes.
2: It doesn't seem right. Mm. Okay. Well, um, here's one for you. If you had a half a ton of butter. Mm. Yeah, right. What would you do with it? more toast <laughs> i don't know <laughs> honey buy some waffles at costco daddy's making waffles gotta use up this butter well if, if oh, I high, have, how much butter half a ton wow thousand pounds of butter that's a lot of butter uh, in pennsylvania you get a thousand ta- pounds of bottled butter churned out you know what you're making you're going to make a butter sculpture of course and,
3: uh, you, you need to see this sculpture, by the way. Is it
2: beautiful? Yeah. We'll, we'll put it up on the Matt Townsend it's, at Dr. Matt Show. It's amazing. It's the 2017 Pennsylvania Farm Show, and as it's about to open, you've got to start with the annual butter, butter Sculpture. I can't say Butter Sculpture. The sculpture unveiled Thursday is called A Culture of Stewardship. It pays tribute to dairy farmers, who the artists say are the stewards of the land, air, water, and community, about a half a ton of butter was used to create the piece, which shows the landscape of farms and un- undulating hillsides that give way to forest-covered
3: peaks. There's a whole thing going on with this. There's, uh, there's the scene on top, there's yeah. cows. Sounds beautiful. They have like lettering around the bottom that they yeah. carved in butter. It's just, It's amazing.
2: Husband and wife, suburban Philadelphia sculptor team Jim Victor and Marie Pelton say they think the piece uniquely depicts the characteristics of Pennsylvania. Plus, it's good on waffles, which is half the battle. Wow. That's great. Butter. There is, as I look at it, there is, uh, it seems like there's about, I don't know, there's a big gash in the barn. Yeah. Apparently somebody's already taken a little dollop. Well, you know, it's butter. You know, believe this or not, there's actually
4: a butter sculpting movie out there. Uh-oh. And it's not a documentary. It's really? a com- I think it's a comedy, a comedy drama. Yeah. Do you know what it's called? A comedy drama.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's it called? Butter. No wow. joke. Well, Look it up. It's to the point. It's On got what's his face from Modern Family, and uh, who's the what's it? Well, from- no, but you heard what the you heard what the critics said about it. They said, "I can't believe it's not butter."
4: Actually, I think they said, "There's no butter movie than this one out right now." Okay. Wow. You better believe it.
2: That one got away. Well, we'll take a break. When we come back, our very own Jeff Simpson will be interviewing Rod Gustafson about the uh, the upcoming movies that are coming out today. And some came out a little while ago. <laughs> Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, getting you ready for the weekend. We'll be back.
4: Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson covering this segment uh, because, uh, let's face it, I think I, like, I think I like movies more than Matt does. And it is Friday. You know what that means. We're going to be speaking with our good friend Rod Gustafson from parentpreviews.com, who's going to be talking to us about a new movie that... Uh, could potentially be up for some awards this season. Is that right, Rod?
8: Yeah. I actually, Hidden Figures is one that, that we've been keeping our eye on for a while. And I'm so happy it's finally coming out, finally releasing to theaters. And uh, this is an absolutely amazing film. First of all, I love movies about true stories. Second of all, I was the kid I went to a little country school and I was the kid that while all the other guys were out playing football, I was trying to build a computer in nineteen seventy. <laughs> <laughs> so I and that's what this movie is about. This is a nerdy geeky film that's <laughs> that's true. And it involves NASA and all those great wonderful things. Did you know, back in the early days of NASA, before it was even called NASA, when they were trying, when they were running the Mercury program and they were trying to get Alan Shepard uh, up into space and back down again safely and whatnot, there was tons of very difficult mathematical calculations that needed to be do needed to be done, and they didn't have computers really back then. This was really in the infancy infancy of that technology, so they had human computers. They would hire people who would be just incredible at looking at numbers and doing advanced calculations very quickly. But NASA couldn't get enough of those people. So if you can imagine, in Virginia, of all places, in the early 1960s, what they finally had to resort to was hiring not only women, but black women. And this movie covers three of those black women who, at a time when this whole segregation thing Mm -hmm. is, is mounting up and this is just a huge political... Hot button. Here they are. Getting jobs at NASA as some of the top mathematical brains in the country, if not in the world.
4: I think that was the most surprising th- thing to me when
8: uh, we first saw the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It really is now. I, and I want to get the names straight here. The three people that this cover, and these were people, real people, was Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson. And uh, and these people, if you talk to, like, I've got a buddy who's a, a computer developer, and uh, he, when they told him about this movie, he immediately said, oh, yeah, that's Dorothy Vaughn, you know, like these women um, became pioneers, like not only were the unusual because they were black women, but they were unusual because they were valid uh, mathematical pioneers and scientists. And, uh, hmm. and yet they're somewhat unheard of, which is really a shame. Yeah, and so this movie is rated PG-13. No, actually, I told you wrong. This movie's PG. Really? Yeah, this is a PG movie, oh. which is even more amazing to get a PG movie about a, a serious topic like this. And But, yeah, this movie, you could easily show this movie to an eight-year-old, and it's a very inspiring film. And... uh and it also, I mean, it does a number of things. I like movies that do lots of things. <laughs> It'll inspire them, first of all, in that STEM area right now that's so popular, science and technology, engineering and all that. But it also teaches about the civil rights movement in a way that is very applied because, for example, these women work in this little basement kind of an area on the Langley, NASA's Langley campus, and – um and when three of them are selected to move actually into some of the engineering areas and the other parts of the campus, these women still, if you can imagine, and this is back in the days when women had to wear, you know, they're in dresses and high mm-hmm. heels to work, they had to go. All the way from one end of the campus to the other to use the one washroom that was approved for wow. black people to use. And so there's this tremendous scene. One of the lead guys in this engineering area is played by Kevin Costner. And he keeps saying... Where is she gone? Why has she left her desk? Well, then there's this this a very amazing scene where she says, "Look," she says, "If I have to run across this campus in the pouring rain just to use the bathroom, that's how come I'm not at my desk." Mm. And uh, really. Really poignant scenes, and yet this is a very inspiring movie on many different levels.
4: So it came
8: out in December,
4: but uh, limited Mm -hmm. release, right? Yeah. Yeah.
8: So the way award movies work is they have to get them on a couple of screens somewhere in order to qualify for this year's awards. Part of the reason they wait so late in doing this, in my humble opinion, (laughs) is they think that – for us, whether you're a movie critic or whether you're a member of an Academy Guild who gets to vote on the movies for Oscars, that we're going to forget it. If we've seen the movie last February, Will we still remember it. And so they wait till the last minute to release them. They put them on a couple of screens, but the major release is until today. So That's a good point. You know,
4: I think of John Goodman who, when he came out with 10 Cloverfield Lane back in March, a lot of people were saying, Yeah. yeah, a lot of people were talking about an Oscar, but he He probably won't be recognized. Yeah,
8: and I put John on my nomination list. I put 10 Cloverfield Lane and a couple of categories on my nomination list. What an incredible movie. Didn't get a thing. Not in our group anyhow. And I doubt it's going to show up anywhere else either. Yeah, it's kind of long and forgotten. So out of sight, out of mind. Mm
4: -hmm. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah,
8: it really is. Anyhow, Hidden Figures, yeah, as I mentioned, rated PG. We are giving it the... A grade, and uh, that happens rarely for us. All right. So go see Hidden Figures.
4: And, you know, during the break, I also uh, mentioned to you that it's been a—we talked about how it's been a great year for animation. So I wanted to see what your favorite picks for
8: animated movies were this year. number one, my vote, and this was what won at the Broadcast Film Critics Awards, Zootopia. Now, and Mm. it's interesting. We were talking about how movies can get forgotten. I saw this happen with a Lego movie a couple of years back— Couldn't believe it didn't even get nominated for that was a slap in the face, and it came out in January. So maybe there's some truth to this Zootopia, same thing, but I am hoping they remember Zootopia. You know what I really loved about Zootopia, Jeff? And I had to watch it three times to realize what is it about this movie. I mean, it's got fun dancing and and singing and music and all that stuff, all those things that you know are that you see on the level, but. What I really recognized was there wasn't a single character in that movie that didn't have a prejudice or a bias. Mm. There was no – even our protagonist, that lovely little bunny, she has her own prejudices and biases. Everyone does. And I thought what a poignant and timely um, lesson for young people right now with some of the things that we're dealing with. And uh, so I thought Zootopia was a wonderful, wonderful film.
4: Okay. Do you think that is what – I assume it's going to be nominated for an
8: Academy Award. It better be. Would it, <laughs> would it be
4: so. the top or choice for? Do you
8: think it's going to win? I think it has a very good chance of winning. Um, I think it, I think the trio is going to be Zootopia and uh, Moana and Finding Dory, I think, are going to be the three that are going to be really in there. But we may be surprised by something like Kubo and the Two Strings as well. You never know.
4: And Finding Dory was another one that you mentioned that you really I really liked. did.
8: I thought Finding Dory did a wonderful job of introducing young people as well as adults to the topic of mental illness in a very kind and gentle way. The other thing I really loved about Finding Dory is the role of her parents, assuming everybody's seen the movie hopefully Um, when you find that her parents have been waiting for her all that time and I know parents who have children that have mental illness disabilities whatever I hate these different labels that we have but however you describe it and the sacrifices that they make and when I look at the sacrifices that these parents make for Dory and waiting for Dory and that very touching scene at the end lovely movie and I think it's a great it's a great Discussion starter on many of those topics.
4: Yeah. And the third one that you mentioned which I know I enjoyed much more than you did, was, yeah. was Moana.
8: And I really did enjoy Moana. It's just compared to the other two. But yeah, Moana had some really good things about it. Uh, as we have discussed, you know, the female, um, we have the strong female protagonist, which is becoming very popular in Disney films, but not at the expense of males, which was right. something that I really appreciated. And then there's Dwayne Johnson, who just does a marvelous job of playing that, that character who is fun Yet at the same time, he's trying to be strong and tough. And uh, Dwayne has really figured out comedy in that regard. He really has.
4: Yeah. So if you you don't want to see Hidden Figures, which has a a little bit of a heavier subject than, you know, say Moana Mm -hmm. and Finding Dory, then uh, you have some choices there. But also just looking forward to a couple of months when... No, just next month when mm. the Academy Awards
8: yeah. come out. Yeah, I know, right around the corner. Hey, if I can get in a quick Absolutely. plug for one mm-hmm. more on home video, Queen of Catway. Oh, that's right. Beautiful yes. Disney film that came out earlier this—well, sorry, not this year, last year. And it's another true story about a young woman in Africa who manages to change her life by, of all things, learning how to play chess. This is a lovely film to show your kids and to share with them. And that's out on home video now. And for some reason, Disney released it in like 400 theaters which is next to nothing, got overlooked. One of the best overlooked movies of 2016. So Disney's had a very good year. They really have. Oh, they're making so much money. And uh, I think that's almost how come they get a film like Queen of Catway that really should have had more publicity. and, And I know families would really enjoy seeing this movie.
4: And that just came out on video. So look for that. And Rod, thank you so much for your time. We always appreciate talking to you and have a good time. And And uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be doing a little bit of a news flesh, after which we'll be heading on over to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Welcome back, friends. You know, a lot of news this week. And because we at the empty news bank, we, we are constantly sorting through every news story that there is. Many times we have too much news, so we just end up tossing it. We like to do a little segment on the show called The News Flush. Thank you, Jeffrey. Are you done? Wash your hands. That was crude. Thank you. And uh, as part of the news flush, we just throw out news stories that we had we had uh, acquired. And n- now that we're not going to use them, we just are going to do a quick review and then flush
3: that bad boy. Terry will start, as always. The iconic Monopoly board game is getting a new set of playing pieces. And you can vote on whether you want the hashtag symbol or the kissy face emoji to be one of those new game tokens. Really? Yeah. The uh, current setup has a battleship, a shoe, an old school race car, a cat, a top hat, a schnauzer named Scotty, a thimble, and a wheelbarrow. Really? Yeah. So they have... uh Fans can choose eight among 64 pieces, and a new set will be shipped with the game in October. Voting closes January 31st, so get on to it, and Hasbro will reveal reveal the results in March. Um, but yeah, they have a bunch of different things. Hashtags, uh, thumbs up, a computer. <sighs> they want to have so more modern. Well, what is the modern symbol of today? I don't know. Hmm. So there's 64 options. You can go check it out on their website, but it seems... I don't know why. Why mess with something that's that's working? Well, they have the they and they have like uh, themed versions of the Monopoly game, and they change the the tokens for that. So, are uh, they getting rid of the dog or the top hat? It act? doesn't say they're replacing; it mm. says they're adding two.
2: Um, it's only so much room. Yeah, there, there's, it's it, it's gonna create a it's gonna create a big battle, and because I don't know what what device do you pick? I don't know. You can get rid of the wheelbarrow. Someday remind me to tell you the wheelbarrow story, where I about broke my neck.
4: Tell us the wheelbarrow story. Well, someday. Someday. Well, today is
2: someday. Not the day he was hoping you would ask him, though. Oh, I see. I might have to tell you, because I can't choose between my many, 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 many stories.
3: Just grab one. You're going to flush it anyways. Um, Oh,
2: wait a minute. Oh, yeah, Jeffrey. Wait a minute. Flush that bad boy. Um... Okay, I can't find the story, but I read it today. A surgeon, a little girl had her teddy bear torn, and a, and she took it to a friend that's a surgeon, and the surgeon performed surgery on her bear, and stitched it up for her. I can't find
3: the story. Thank you. It was great. So flush it. <laughs> school was canceled Tuesday for St. Charles East High School in uh, St. Charles, Illinois. The suburban high school was closed uh, on early on Monday. According to WGN-TV, it all started over the weekend when 10 out of 14 players on the boys' varsity, varsity basketball team fell sick and couldn't play in Saturday night's game. A spokesman for the district says it would learn that multiple students across the sports teams were ill. That's uh, the, when the principal of the school sent out an email to parents explaining the situation, asking if any of their children were ill and the response he says was overwhelming it wasn't until monday they learned the full scope of the illness on monday morning 800 out of 2500 students of the school were absent wow they're homesick or so they say and they're saying that they believe the suspect is neurovirus a commonly a common and highly contagious stomach bug as student symptoms were consistent with the illness. And so, like, they're saying, like, the CDC writes that anyone can get neurovirus from an infected person, contaminated food or water, or by touching contaminated surfaces. It's pretty common since uh, approach to preventing it is simply to wash your hands. So apparently they don't wash their hands thoroughly enough at, mm. uh, at this high school. Oh, my heavens. 800 kids, sick. Wow. Kids, wash your hands.
2: Really flushing. Or you'll be flushing it. Um, Here's a crazy one. Is rinsing your mouth
3: after you brush your teeth wrong? I've heard yes, because you're washing away all the fluoride and all the stuff the toothpaste is trying to do.
2: Okay, this is my story. I'm
3: sorry. I'm just saying what I've
2: known (laughs) or heard. According to the Center for Disease Control, half of Americans age 30 and older have some form of gun disease. That's one out of every two people. Now, here's the problem. It may be because you're not using the right oral hygiene. Apparently, when you brush your teeth, um, most of us are used to rinsing our mouths out after, finish, after we finish brushing. It's the natural last step, right? Because you don't want all those chemicals on your teeth, and then you don't want to ingest them, because then you'll be sick like these kids. Right. Well, apparently, if you rinse with water immediately after brushing your teeth, you essentially are rinsing away all of the benefits of fluoride. Hmm. So you're
4: saying, brush your teeth, don't use water to rinse your mouth out. Go.
2: I'd get a diet beverage, maybe some, you know, cherry Coca Cola. (laughs) So also, don't use the mouthwash after you've brush your teeth. You want to you what by uh, what you really want to do is you want to leave it in there. Now, if you're afraid you're going to get sick, you're not. But if you have to rinse, then just put water in your mouth and swish it around, create a slurry. They say. Do and and then spit it out. It would be better if you just spit out what was in your mouth and then didn't do anything else. Walk away. Walk away. See and breathe through your mouth so as to dry the fluoride. Last
4: night teeth. I did use mouthwash after I brushed my teeth, but it was only because I discovered I had used my wife's toothbrush by mistake. Well, hopefully she's not listening. She's
2: the one that told me. Okay. Okay. A little
3: too much information. Brought to you by Jeff Simpson and the Simpson family. Flush it. This year's uh, Super Bowl will be on the Fox Network, just yeah. so you can make I, your plans I, I'm already accordingly. Just setting my um, they're recorder. selling digital-only advertising packages for next month's game for as much as seven hundred thousand dollars for a thirty-second spot. Wow! Though most advertisers, uh, they're not buying both online and TV spots. Network officials told. Uh, actually, they are buying both. So most are buying both, so they get some sort of package deal. Mm-hmm. But if you're just buying online, it's 700000 for 30 seconds. For the TV spot, a 30-second spot is $5 million or more, depending on what you want to do with it.
2: Man. Why do – let's just not buy any.
3: I don't know. But, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? You had your own TV spot. You, oh, yeah. Right in the middle of it. Hi, I'm Matt Townsend.
2: Right. Hey, um, flush it. Yeah. Where do you think is the most painful place to get stung by a bee sting? Wow. On the nose. Currently, apparently on coach.9.com, there's there's a, there's quite a few places. The shin. They tested out. They gave access, scientists did, bees access to 25 different parts of his body to then find out which one is is the most painful. And? There's a variety, and I can't mention half of them. Why'd you bring it up? Because it's just hilarious. You can't do the story. Um, but apparently, the nose and the lip, Yeah. very painful. The upper lip is a very
4: close second. Yeah. 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 And this man also had allergies to bees, right?
2: Yeah. He's no longer with us. <laughs> uh, the humble nostril was the most sensitive place to be attacked by a bee. So, when a bee, if you if you are attacked by a lot of bees, cover your nostril hmm. and your upper lip. That was second. By the way, even more painful those two than uh, your private areas of your body, right. than your eyeball. Your eyeball. <laughs> Close your eyes for heaven's Close heaven your eyes sakes. too. Yeah. Anyway, crazy news. Flush them all, folks. Flush them all. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll visit the Good Brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show in about 13 minutes. I also want to find out about uh, what they think about the Chargers moving to L.A. Seems like blasphemy to me. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you get to the weekend. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's time to shoot it down to our good friends from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show in about 10 minutes. Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen.
6: Wow. Wow.
2: Are you there? Can you hear us, Spencer and Jerem? Hello, my little friends. You are just a few studios away, and yet you seem so distant. Spencer and Jerem, can you hear us? as Jeffrey is frantically trying to figure that out. Are you there, guys? Okay, well, we'll get to you. We'll get to you. You got to be here because I've got an incredibly urgent question about uh, these chargers moving to L.A. You, You can't just make a logo, an L.A. logo, turn into a charger, you know. You can't. You can't do it. It doesn't work, Jeffrey. Any luck there? They can't seem to hear you. They can't hear me. That is so rude. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I've BYU played last night. Okay, they had a basketball game against San Francisco. I watched it. I was on fire. My kids were watching it. the uh, The energy of the game, the back and forth, and I and. I'm looking at it thinking, this is what life is all about, right? A father with his sons gathered around the TV as we watch BYU beat San Francisco. And then I thought to myself, I miss this a lot because BYU is playing a lot of games and I'm not actually catching all of them, which is one of the reasons why you need a little BYU sports nation on your side. Uh, Spencer and Jeremy, are you guys there? We are here, Matthew. Hi, Matt. How are you, kids? We weren't
9: purposely ignoring
2: you. No, that's fine. I saw you last night, Spencer, interviewing, doing the sideshow, sideshow of, <laughs> like side of, side of the circus.
9: I like that phrase, sideshow. Which part of the sideshow of the circus?
2: I saw that. I saw the halftime interviews of the coaches. Oh, okay. They were fantastic.
1: What did you think of the line of questioning?
2: I thought the questioning, I thought when you got, I I was totally with you until you started getting into the Russia discussion. Yeah,
1: that was kind of weird. I thought that was weird at halftime of a basketball game. Yeah, I mean, of all times to bring up Russia. Yeah. yeah.
2: That was fun. No, it was a good game. What do you think? (laughs) I mean, you guys, you get to just enjoy that all the time. I was just telling everybody that I had a really cool father-son moment with one of my kids watching the game. Oh, nice! It was really great. And then I said, "Hey, there's there's Spencer, and he's talking about Russia. Let's change the channel." <laughs> and then we watched the Kardashians.
9: Oh, so you improved you the level of programming, quality
2: content. <laughs> it was awesome, guys. Okay, first thing I have to ask you about though, um, Chargers.
9: Wow, San Diego. Nope.
2: <sighs> what is
9: that about? I don't know. I can't get over the fact that Money. that yeah whole dynasty, not dynasty, but that whole. I don't know what do you what do you call the charge all oh, a legacy the, dispensation? Yeah the, legacy. yeah, the dispensation of the San Diego Chargers is over. It's, it's weird. Over. I covered the Chargers for three years, part of my professional career. <sighs> so it's are I, you sad? I, I feel it's weird. Yeah, I, I but I totally understand why they moved to Los Angeles. Dean Spanos. Okay, team explain owner, that. I mean, he's getting just hammered by San Diego by the mayor in San Diego by all the fans. They tried. I mean, ah. he, they they could have moved last year to L.A., but he said, you know what, we're going to give it another year so that we can try and lock in place uh, something that we can work with and build a new stadium Counter. in San Diego. They tried for another year. He delayed what has now become the inevitable. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I feel like they tried, and it just— they And they need a new stadium. We were yeah. there, Jerem. Tell everybody how much San Diego needs a new stadium. It's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy.
2: <laughs> is it falling? Like when you were sitting there, were pieces falling off of the building?
9: It's just so old. It, it's yeah, archaic.
1: It's, it's just bad. It, I, I walked in there and I go, oh my gosh, this is a piece of
9: junk. Really? For real. Yeah,
2: it's, so, it's got some prime real estate, right?
9: Absolutely, it does. Yeah. So
2: if they could just tear it down and build it in the same place. Okay, here's the second question.
9: For uh, what team? No, I know, I know That's why it moved. It stinks, though. Their logo is horrible. That's though. the point. Oh. So
2: did did the logo did the logo designers try hard enough?
9: No, the Tampa, the
1: Tampa Bay Lightning that is tweeted to the L.A. Dodgers and said. Uh, I thought you were going to call me back because it's a combo of the lightning and the yeah. like,
9: Dodgers logo,
2: logo. It's 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 yeah, it's pretty Everybody weak.
9: Everybody is trolling the new San Diego logo, yeah. including That's the Dallas funny. Stars National Hockey Team, the National Hockey League team. Kay? so they send the Dallas Cowboys a tweet that is the Cowboys star but just green color, and said, "Hey, this is our new logo. Is, <laughs> is that cool with you, Cowboys?" Oh boy,
2: <laughs> that is. It, they're not going to live that down.
9: We've seen the L.A. and then like little letters M-E, so lame. And yeah. And then like La La Land. <laughs>
2: la, la, lame.
9: La-, la La Lazy.
2: La La Lazy. La La Lazy designer. Why, I don't
9: know why they needed a new logo. No. Like you're still the Chargers, just keep the same logo.
2: Well, now if you're in L.A., if you have a Dodgers cap, you don't need to buy another hat because you've got Double pretty up. much – You're it. That's it. Yeah.
1: The most popular team in L.A. in the NFL. Do you know who it that,
2: is? Uh, in, in L.A. In L.A., the most popular team in the NFL, the Dodgers.
1: The most popular <laughs> though, NFL team in LA. Oh, NFL their, team! Oh, I is, thought you, yeah, yeah. Um, Raiders. The still? Raiders is the so they have two. They have two teams because they live there. The most, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's interesting. See a little ditty that we wouldn't have known about, uh, guys. Man. What's up on your show in a few minutes?
9: Today's loaded. The real San Francisco treat, Matt. <laughs> that's what we've got. Rice a BYU dominating the Dons last night. Yeah. Well, one player in particular. They could not stop Mika. Eric Miko. Yeah. He was unbelievable. We'll talk about that. Maybe that was the most impressive thing you saw. You're was... asking everyone, what is the thing that impressed you most from cool. last night's game?
1: are going for two picks. There's hmm. been a uh, swing of sorts. Uh, we'll get to that. Plus, uh, decent NFL tight end Dennis Pitta uh, <laughs> <laughs> will join the program as Average. well as... Oh, boy. Average to <laughs> solid tight end Dennis Pitta. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of history there between uh, the you show guys, and Dennis. You guys fight a lot, yeah. Including the MDB page, so a lot to talk about. BYU football adds 10 players yeah. uh, to the roster. We'll tell you the three impact players we see out of this group. Mm-hmm. They're in school now. They're cool here. They're back. Show.
2: Cool show. I hope you guys live through the Pitta moment. Oh, yeah. That'll be great. I we can't always wait do. wait for it. Okay, knock we them dead. can handle it two-on-one. Knock can't. them dead. Just don't get knocked dead. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, gents. Peace out. Have a good show. Yeah, man, they take on Pitta. You don't take on Pitta. Pitta takes you on. Excuse me. That got crazy right there. Hey, um, listen to this. A woman gives birth during an auto shop oil change. That's going to cost her. You didn't tell us you were going to give birth, lady. Uh, Some auto shops offer a 10-minute oil change service. That still would not have been uh, enough time because... It only took uh, seven minutes for this woman to give birth while uh, her car oil was being changed um, in her husband's pickup. So, you know, once the car is on the rack and your wife starts getting having a baby, you got to choose. And they didn't apparently choose fast enough. Amanda Sherman, 24, gave birth when she went to the restroom. I went to the restroom, and then, I don't know, I was all of a sudden holding her, Sherman said, adding that she felt a little pain or contractions. I hollered for help, and some woman who happened to be registered nurse came through the door. The nurse was another customer waiting for her car. Adam Sherman, meanwhile, uh, was on the phone with a 911 dispatcher who talked him through the process of tying off the baby's umbilical cord with his bootlace before an ambulance took his wife and daughter, 7-pound, 12-ounce Heather Lynn, to the hospital. That is a miracle. And a free oil change for the entire year. Thanks to Heather Lynn. Hey, as you know, too, we like to end with a hero story. This is the story I was trying to tell earlier for crying out loud. A surgeon stitches up a patient's stuffed animal. Listen to this. When a boy in Minnesota needed surgery, his stuffed friend also got a little work done. In Milwaukee, listen to this, a doctor at the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin is getting a lot of attention for performing surgery on a stuffed animal. A photo posted on the hospital's Facebook page shows Dr. Travis Groth stitching up one of his patient's stuffed animals, uh, Mike Wazowski, from the Monsters. Mike Wazowski needed a little surgery. Ryan has probably a 1,000 stuffed animals, but this one is his favorite, said Tony Jason, Ryan's father. Tony says his son takes the stuffed animal everywhere, and as a result, the toy is very worn out. So last month when Ryan had to have surgery, Dr. Groff also brought uh, Mike Wazowski into the operating room. He saw the the tear and said, you know what? I can tell you this is his best friend, and I'm going to patch him up, too. So we did it. And they took a picture of it, and now, because of Facebook, we all know about it. So, Doc, you are the hero of the day, Dr. Travis Groth from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's it, my friends. We are out of here. That's It's time for the weekend. Now, let's meet again Monday. Let's do this again. That was fun. We all learned. Or, sorry, Tuesday. We won't be back Monday um because of the holidays um but here is the thing take care of each other let's look after each other let's learn a little bit about diversity on this great uh, day we'll be celebrating monday and until then make it a great one take care of each other we'll talk again on tuesday